0: down am making out whenever possible put on side one of- rock all over you podcast let's rock oh. eric and edwin edwin and eric they don't give a fuck they just want you to rock yeah bam 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 dilly d bam 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 So, Dave, how
1: come you write about death so much? Not really death. It's it's more about awareness, you know. I mean, because without death, life would be meaningless, don't you think? Raise your face. I mean life, death, sex. It's pretty happening
2: to me, you know? Yeah. What else okay. is there? Beer, maybe. Beer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I gotta die first Please God
2: send me my way Alright, and here we go with our Megadeth So far, so good, so what review uh, it's me and Edwin solo yet again, uh, but we do not need a guest for this one because I feel like we're going to gush over this album relentlessly just by the way we've been talking about it leading up to this. How are you, Edwin?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right. It's I don't know when you all going to be listening to this, but right now it's Saturday night and Saturday Saturday night is all right for podcasting. That's what they say. And Damn right. What both... are you drinking tonight, brother? Well, I was drinking some uh, Jim Beam Black Label, which okay. is one of my favorite bourbons. I was drinking. That. I'm a, like a pretty mainstream guy when it comes to my booze. You know, I like. Uh, you're
2: very sophisticated. You're you're like the, the You know, I mean, you'll usually drink sometimes maybe the MGD, but you're usually drinking some like pretty classy like whiskey or something. And then I'm the guy just drinking Canadian beer, like drinking some vodka drinks or some shit like that. You know, I'm I'm the more. I'm the more wild and unfiltered guy. You're definitely the sophisticated, like, cool guy like Mike
1: But (laughs) It it kind of depends on your point of view. I mean, mean, it's funny because you say that, but then there's other, like, snobs that would be like, oh, my God, you're just drinking, like, uh, uh, Black Label Jim Beam and Johnny Walker. You're not drinking some kind of obscure uh, Japanese... You know, single malt. malt yeah, scotch. yeah. <laughs> Something where like they they
2: taste they taste it. They do like a YouTube video where they taste it wearing a suit, and yeah. they're just like, hmm, oh, it's real smoky tasting. I can almost taste like a little bit of oak and pine.
1: Yeah. And it's like, yeah. what the
2: fuck are you drinking, man?
1: Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I like <laughs> if I admit, I'm kind of like an upper middle class. Shit booze or i'm not like a you get, you get a little fancy but you don't go too far with it i don't get too far there. i do i like to taste my booze that's all <laughs> yeah yeah hey, uh, hey that's hey whatever works for you man <laughs> but now now i'm just drinking i'm past that i already had like you know drink my bourbon and now i'm on to the chaser so now i'm just drinking some miller lights so th- there you go are you drinking the mgds are you drinking yep. keep the mgd mom- alive <laughs> Uh, you know what? MGD is really hard to get. I have
2: to special oh, order it. And I see it everywhere where I fucking go, man. You need to come to Indiana. I know. Mick Watkins uh, says it's easy to get in Kentucky too. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't go to a liquor store without, without like running into some. I don't know. I'm
1: always uh, in these little kind of. Uh, I I don't know why, but unfortunately, I'm always in neighborhoods where I can't get MGD. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I I need to change this <laughs> in the future. But as you know, I just. Uh, i back here in Florida for the summertime, and I just got back here a couple of weeks ago, so I didn't get a chance to put in my special order for MGD yet, but I will do that in the next week or two. But in the meantime, I'm just drinking some Miller Light, which, you know, I do like to drink light beer when it's like, when I'm at the chaser period, you know, like. Yeah, after yeah. After I, like, to drink some whiskey or some real beer, then, I, like, I, I kind of finish out the rest of the night, like, pounding a, a few lights, you know, towards... You know, and always remember, kids, beer before liquor. Never been sicker, so so drink
2: your beer after your liquor. Like drink liquor first and then drink your beer. That's the
1: professional way to that, do it. That is. Otherwise, you're a rank amateur, and you're gonna be throwing up. And, yep. And, and, and never like... mix wine and beer
2: because I made that mistake once as a as a you know uh, what was I? I think I was like 15 or 14. Uh, also, don't drink until you're 21. Nah, don't listen to <laughs> Don't listen to Eric. Yeah. Drink before you're 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta I got put some kind of PSA out there to prove I'm somewhat responsible, but... Don't yeah. don't drink and drive. I mean, don't, don't drink, drink and drive. drive. Yeah, you're no, you're an asshole if you do that. You'll end up with a 502...
1: Yeah, don't don't do what Dave Mustaine does. Do actually don't do a lot of things that Dave Mustaine does. Yeah. Except for maybe shred on the don't, guitar and write awesome songs. Yeah,
2: just don't don't do a lot of things that Dave Mustaine did like uh, release Risk and put your name on that
1: shit. Oh Lord. Don't cry in a on a Metallica documentary like a bitch.
2: Oh, that I remember watching that, man, and that oh I remember watching some kind of monster and That shit was just horrible, because I was always, like, team... At that age, I was, like, really team Mustaine, and, like, you know, fuck Metallica, and... Oh, that just sucks. I was just, like, he just made himself look so weak
1: in that. He always
2: does that. It's
1: it's like when he... That awkward... Remember, like, after the the Big Four, you know, uh, shows, where... You know, it looked like, you know, Dave Mustaine and Metallica were buddying up again. Yeah. And then Dave blows it by getting too desperate in that tweet. You know, he sends this tweet to James Hetfield, and it's like... Happy birthday, brother. We changed the world forever. And it and just—it just, it was a nice sentiment, but it reeked of kind of desperation. Yeah, if and, you would, just word it a little bit differently. And, and, and say, so just
2: comes off as like being kind of a bitch. And it's like,
1: come on, man. It's like that, you know, the girl that clings too much or the guy that... He, guy he's literally like Stacy from Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, a gun rack. Keep it cool, man. Just keep it cool. And it's like, I'm on, I'm on your side, Dave. I'm on your side. Keep it cool. You know? I mean, yeah. you know, you I... Well, you know, I... If you watch my YouTube video about Megadeth, and you'll know I'll go more... You know, I go more into that in that video, but I'll just say here, if you haven't listened to it, I am a bigger Megadeth fan than a Metallica fan. Overall. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, you are, too? Yeah, I, I'm definitely more of a Megadeth
2: fan than Metallica, <laughs> and I, I'm definitely a lot more forgiving to Metallica than I used to be when I was younger, but I still say the... The first three Megadeth albums totally just destroy the first three, uh, Metallica albums. And the first three Metallica are fucking masterpieces, but just Megadeth had a little extra something. That's uh, I do agree. Albums, Both bands though, at some point, kinda like, they definitely started chasing the charts and stopped focusing on, uh, you know, like, just doing straight up metal. Uh, I think that, you know, sadly that's cause of fame. You know, you look at bands like Overkill, Um, testament, the thrash bands that didn't become big and they, they still put out good albums because they're not, they're not writing for fame or to make, or to, you know, pay their alimony and to pay their man, you know, their big mortgage bills. They're, they're, they're playing for, for the love of thrash and for love of metal. Whereas Metallica and Megadeth are kind of in a box where they have to like try and somewhat make a, make it on the charts. And that's where, you know, writing suffers.
1: I respectfully disagree though. This is where I think Metallica and Megadeth. Differ. I agree with that with, about Metallica, especially when we get into like the 90s, you know? I mm-hmm. think Megadeth went in the direction that they did in the 90s, out of spite, to try to, it was out competition with Metallica. It wasn't, I don't think Dave would care about the pop charts. I think he just always wanted to try to match Metallica wherever they were, you know? And, and I gotta say, obviously, it sounds like I'm a little more forgiving bit of those like mid to late '90s Megadeth albums than you. Oh, I mean, me too. I think I they're a little too. bit I mean... more interesting than Metallica albums because at least they get kind of weird in spots, and musically they're a little more eclectic. And I think the melodies are more interesting. I just think that they, even though Risk and like cryptic writings are definitely like down on Ooh. the bottom of my like you know like not the absolute bottom. I think the worst albums are like The World Needs a Heroes really not that hot at yeah. all. But, uh, and, uh, and, um, Super Collider probably. Especially. Oh, Super Collider was terrible. Yeah, that, was think... after, that was, like, right after Endgame, too, and Endgame was so good. And... Well, yeah, but I think, like, Risk and, and, and um, and Cryptic Writings are almost kind of like the Elder. They're just, like, they're offbeat pop metal like the, They're just, like, a different thing. Like, n- because we know Megadeth didn't keep on making music like that, because they eventually did things like Endgame and Dystopia and, this, you know, the system has failed, I feel like, you know, like, you can listen to those albums with an open mind if some people do it. And just, like, listen, there's some really cool, interesting stuff. It's To me, they, they kind of remind me of Alice Cooper's, like, Blackout period, where they're just kind of weird and gonzo in spots. And, I don't know, to me, it's not entirely... I think they're a little too weird and experimental to be totally written off as of sellout albums, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I'll say this. I'm, those albums, I can forgive a lot more, and I can definitely listen to them more than, like, you know, Load and Reload and all that shit. I mean, that, that shit, for me, is just unlistenable. Megadeth, like, there's still, like, with those albums, there's still, like, a pretty good handful of songs I would enjoy off them. But definitely just, like, was not thrash, you know? It wasn't, oh, yeah. you know... It, you could definitely tell they're trying to—they're uh, trying to, you know, kind of chase the charts. But they at least stayed a little bit more truer to metal than Metallica did. You know, Metallica trying to go like alternative and all these different direction directions. Yeah. Whereas you know, Megadeth was like still staying like metal, but they're kind of slowing it down a lot. I think a lot of that too was also Marty Friedman because Marty Friedman was never a thrash guy. He really—he really, he really kind of cleaned up Megadeth's like sound, which I'll kind of touch upon too in this episode. Yeah. Uh, because this was, like, the last last Megadeth album before Marty Friedman joined. And it's definitely, like, the last Megadeth album, in my opinion. It had that, like,
1: classic, like, you know, Megadeth sound to it. Yeah, it's interesting, because he, even the two guitarists before him, the uh, lead guitarists before him, were not really thrash guys either. Like, Dave never really played. I think that, actually, neither was Dave Elfson. I mean, that's the thing that I think made Megadeth a little different from a lot of the other bands, that... He, he, Dave didn't choose musicians just because they played heavy or were part of the thrash scene. Like, he really just picked musicians that were top of their game, that were really trained and really could play and were versatile and could do a lot of stuff. And it's like, Dave brought all the anger and thrash intensity, and then he just wanted guys to kind of keep up with him and could play really great shit. And, you know, and I think, as a result, that's another reason why, of the... Of the uh, the big four, I think Megadeth's the best. I'll just say that right now. And I think that's another reason, because I think Dave's musicianship and the musicianship of the band, I just always just think there's just, you can listen to Megadeth again and again and again, depending on the album, depending on most of their periods. They have a few dubs, like we said, but throughout most of their career, there's always something interesting going on with Megadeth albums, and there's a lot of layers to their shit, more so than a lot of thrash bands. You know, I would say my favorite thrash, I think we both have the same favorite thrash band, it's Overkill. Oh, fuck yeah, yeah. I love Overkill. That that That's if we expand to the Big eight. I would say the big eight. Obviously, you know you got the big four: Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, Metallica. And then I would expand that to the big. The big eight would be uh, Testament, Overkill, Exodus, and Death Angel. Wouldn't you Hell say yeah. that? Wouldn't you say that's the big eight? Oh,
2: I, I agree, man. That's definitely the big eight. I mean, honestly, I think. And even though I'd love to have Overkill take over Anthrax's spot in uh, the big four. Uh, personally, I think, like, it, technically the Big Four, like, instead of Anthrax, it should definitely be, like, Exodus, but then again, a lot of the Big Four is mainly based on, like, popularity and album sales, which, you know, yeah. Exodus may be popular amongst, you know, metalheads like, you know, like you and me, but, like, it, they're more popular amongst us, And whereas Anthrax is more universal to, like, yeah. everyone. Yeah, they're
1: definitely a, a, more or a bigger band than the... The ones that would be five, six, seven, and eight, but you know, but that's you yeah, know, that's so that's why they're there. Of course, you know, and, but you know, I'm not a hate. Uh, listen, to varying degrees, I love all those
2: bands, oh, and I, I love Anthrax, but I, oh, I'm yeah. not the biggest fan, you know. And we'll, obviously, we're going to be reviewing Anthrax pretty soon yeah, so in a we'll, future episode.
1: We'll save that for the Anthrax because <laughs> I got opinions about Anthrax. Of course, I got yeah. opinions about all these bands, and you know, I'm just thrilled. Let me just say this, Eric. Maybe this is just the booze. <laughs> but uh i'm so happy that we're finally actually dealing with a thrash album it's great oh same here man
2: yeah so i think it was uh and we i gotta thank uh metal ben because you know and, and we were eventually gonna do like a metal album like a more metal album or a thrash <laughs> album uh but it was Metal ben that kind of you know made me realize like fuck we need to yeah like hey edwin man we've been doing like a lot of like you know we do like a lot of hard rock or like you know kind of mid tier metal. Like we need to do a balls out thrash metal album because of Mel Ben. So I want to give a shout out to Mel Ben as well. For yeah, I've kind been of, almost inspiring this episode because I've been I've been talking about like let's do like some some thrash or something, you
1: know. I think initially, you know, and I and obviously we'll bounce back and forth between like classic rock and heavy metal, and that's yeah, always the gameplay. Like a, yeah, I like a lot of variety. Yeah, same here. And I, I think initially when we were transitioning from the metal dungeon to the rock over, I know like, you know, I picked a lot of those albums and was like, Hey, why don't we show people that this is not just you exactly. know metal. But, you know, now that I feel like we've done that, now that we showed that we're not just the metal dungeon, now now we can kinda of get back into the dungeon a bit and have some fun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: But man, uh, why don't we uh, start kind of digging into us by uh, why don't you why don't you start, everyone, with telling us how you how you discovered Megadeth, you know,
1: and uh, how you discovered this album specifically? Yeah, this uh, this was definitely not my introduction to Megadeth. It um, sometimes it's funny because some bands I remember exactly, like I know exactly the song, exactly the album, and I remember it all in detail. Megadeth, even though it was that this period that. I talk about a lot, that kind of, when I was going for, you know, from junior high to high school, and it was like between 89 and 92, that whole period I talk a lot about, because a lot of these bands, is this is when I got into those bands. And I got into Megadeth during this period, and I remember when I first listened to Metallica, I remember when I first listened to Testament, I actually got into Testament before Megadeth, they were the second Ooh. thrash band I got into, because... A buddy of mine knew I was getting into Metallica, and he said, "Hey, you like Metallica? You should check out Testament because I mean they- Chuck Billy sounds just like James Hetfield. Yeah, just with more range. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's James Hetfield with more range. So yeah, they they're the band that sounds the closest to Metallica." So my my friend was right to point me in that direction. He's like, if you like Metallica, you'll like Testament, and you know I got the New Order, and then ah, uh, I love the New Order, and so Testament was actually the so I broke out of the the Big Four even before I got into the Big Four. I was already <laughs> entering the Big Eight with Testament. So. Um, So I don't know. It was around Slayer. I couldn't get into until years later. They were actually too heavy for me. I just I listened (laughs) to Slayer and was just like I can't deal with this. Years later, now I love 80 Slayer. But oh, I love Slayer. I I could not get into them at that point. Um, It was either Megadeth or Anthrax. But I don't remember who were like the third thrash band I got into. But I don't remember exactly. All I can say is it was either Peace Cells, Who's Buying. I saw the video. And that video is awesome, of course. And the song and the bass line And I was a bassist, so you know that. And that's like to me, like that's one of the great bass openers of all time. Yeah. It was also used for MTV News at the time period. And also Doctor Fuck. Shout out to Rapier He used the uh, he uses that clip from the video. You know, this is the news. Oh and, yeah, I love that he does that. Oh, <laughs> that was always for my. I love that moment. I always like cheered whenever because Headbangers Ball used to show that video a lot. In the late 80s early 90s so it was that song but i sometimes get confused it was either that peace cells was the first megadeth album i got but it was not a new album when i got it it was like i think i got it like 89 so this album that we're reviewing was already out but for whatever reason you know i didn't see the anarchy in the uk video i just saw peace Cells. you know i saw that and I get confused sometimes because around this time period was also – do you remember the Wes Craven movie, Shocker? You know that movie? Yes. Yes, yes. I remember that. And Dave Mustaine – Megadeth was essentially Dave Mustaine. Megadeth yeah. had a cover of the Alice Cooper classic, um, No More Mr. Nice Guy. I remember that video on Metal Mania on VH1 yeah. Classic. That was, well, I was watching that, because I'm older than you, Eric. I was watching that in real time (laughs) on on Headbangers Ball when it was new. Yeah. And and I loved that, too. And also, this was the same time I was getting into Nightmare on Elm Street movies and Friday 13th movies, and I was a little too young to see, like, Dream Master and Dream Warriors and those movies when they were in the theaters, Mm -hmm. but... I was, just when they were on videotape, like that year, like I just missed Dream Master like a year, uh, but suddenly I was in junior high and I was running the videos, and so I got really into West Craven, and then I was all excited, so Shocker was the first movie, I think I had my older brother take me, Yeah. Uh, you know, it got me, we talked about this in the Doors video, how like, you know, someone older needed to get you into the R-rated yeah. movie, <laughs> so my brother took me to see Shocker, and... Because, you know, my brother had some years on me. Or maybe my parents even took me. I don't remember, actually, exactly. But anyway, someone in my family fucking took me to see Shocker. And its I was disappointed in the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's really not that great. It's not that great. And so uh, I was so pumped. I was like, yeah, I'm going to see, like, the next Nightmare on Elm Street series. Like, the beginning. I get to start from the beginning now. And, <laughs> and then I remember thinking, even as, as a dumb, you know... Adolescent, I remember watching the movie going. Oh, this ain't gonna be Nightmare on Elm Street. This ain't yeah,
2: you knew. You're like, it was that bad. Or even like as a young like 13 year old, where you maybe like questionable things.
1: You knew it sucked. Even that idea. This is This is nothing special. Oh man, I feel bad. I never got to see in, uh, one of the first four Elm Street movies in the theater. Oh, like I remember, man. I remember thinking <laughs> that like half, halfway through Shocker. <laughs> but I like the soundtrack. So I had the sa- I had it on cassette. So I had the soundtrack. So I don't remember. It was either the Shocker soundtrack or P Cells because it was close. It was like yeah. within a month or two apart. So I had one of those things first as my introduction to Megadeth. So it was around that time. So it gets kind of muddy. My memory of exactly which was first, as muddy as the original mix of this album. I don't remember <laughs> exactly when, but. So, I didn't get this album until after Rust in Peace, I'm pretty sure. I Yeah, I think uh, Rust in Peace came out, and I got that, and I was very, like, you know, anyone fucking half a brain and some taste, I was really into Rust in Peace. And then I went back and got this album, and so it was, like, probably very early 90s. And I I liked it, but I... I I like, gotta be honest, back then I didn't love it Now I love this album I really love this album But it, for me it was a little bit of a grower really? You know, you got, you got keep in mind I'm listening to this on a cassette for the first time mm-hmm. The original mix On a cassette And I prefer the original mix now Oh, but, me too I'll talk about that in a few when it's my I turn de- but, I, uh, definitely, yeah. I definitely prefer the original mix now But you gotta understand I'm listening to like the original mix now Like a digital file of it like, which I EQ'd all my Apple, you know, music, you know, (laughs) Uh, to the original mix on a cassette in my fucking, like, early 90s shitty, like, stereo system that I had, Uh, it just didn't sound that hot, you know, it just sounded kind of weak and muddy, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, there were some classics, like, you know, In My Darkest Hour, that, like, I was like, oh my god, amazing song, I love that song. But there was some stuff that, it, I just, it wasn't, I didn't go back to it as much as Peace Sells and Russ Never Sleeps. And I didn't actually get uh, Killing as My Business until like the early, early 2000s. That What happened was, I did not really like Countdown to Extinction. When I heard the, the singles from it, I didn't even buy that album. I was just oh. like, yeah, I was not, because I had already bought the Black album and I was somewhat underwhelmed by the Black album. Yeah, and, and, and I heard, like, you know, when the in Symphony you know um, of Destruction came out, I remember thinking, like, oh, they're just doing the Metallica thing, they're going a little more, more mainstream, and I don't know, just, I didn't really like it. I didn't like that song. I thought it was kind of a silly song. I didn't like the whole marionette chorus and uh, stuff. Oh, the whole, like,
2: <laughs> just like it's the pie,
1: pop- yeah. I thought it was corny. I did. I, it's funny, because I'm a little <laughs> easier on that song now. Now I think it's all right. But at the time, I thought it was kind of corny. I didn't really yeah. like it. And by the time euthanasia came around, I was just like, I had really checked out on Megadeth. So, yeah. So so my, fan, my adolescent fandom of Megadeth was a fleeting moment from like 89 to like 91. And then I kind of checked out. And it wasn't until like the 2000s that I came back. And when I came back, that's when... I, I went all in, and suddenly, like before, like within a few months, I had like all the albums, and I did like the deep dive, and I got really into Megadeth, and that's when I rediscovered this album. You know, that's when I kind of got lost in this album, and it became one of my favorite Megadeth albums. I mean, it's the top, it's the first four, just like with, you know, Metallica, it's the first four albums, and you know we'll get more into it when we get into it but that that's when i really appreciated this album and you know i realized i just wasn't cool enough or sophisticated enough to appreciate it's dark druggy mystical <laughs> you know vibes <laughs> going on i you know i just wasn't ready you know i need something more punchy or in your face or obvious in a way that like p-cells and rust you know are in a way that this album what. Qu- Kind of isn't, in a lot of ways, this is their most subtle album of the first four. I think it's 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 an offbeat album, and we'll get into it why. But like, I needed to kind of experience life and be knocked around by life and realize how weird, dark shit gets to fully appreciate <laughs> the masterwork that I think this album is. Despite there's only one flaw, only one flaw on this Ooh. album. We'll get into. And it's the only thing I think kind of holding it back a bit and kind of sours its reputation. No way, okay. Yeah, it's one song, which we'll talk about. <laughs> but every every uh, thing else, but yeah, big fan of this album. So what about you, sir? How did you get into Megadeth and this album we're going to be discussing? Oh, uh, man, so, I mean, Megadeth, you know, it, it, I guess I should
2: start, I'll, I'll give a little brief uh, thing about my how I discovered Metallica because uh, I kind of started with Metallica. Because I was getting into metal, and it's before I got into Thrash, you know, I was a young kid, got into Kiss, and then it was Iron Maiden, and then after that, the floodgates just opened, you know, like, in between kindergarten and, like, first and second grade, uh, the floodgates just opened for me for, for fucking heavy metal, uh, you know, I was just getting into Priest and Cinderella, um, Maiden, you know, just all these different bands, Sabotage, Iced Earth, and, uh, basically Megadeth, um, I didn't hear about Megadeth uh, until I heard about Metallica, because I'm getting into all this metal, and, like, all these adults, man, are just telling me, Metallica, 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 oh, my God, if you like metal, you need to listen to Metallica. Why haven't you listened to Metallica yet? Well, my mom had bought fucking Reload on CD, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think I told my mom, and I, I told her about this Metallica band. I know my dad didn't have any Metallica CDs, because they were a band he didn't like, because, I guess... I noticed his brother played Fight Fire with Fire, like, on repeat, like, endlessly, to the point where my dad was like, fuck this Metallica band, I'm so sick of hearing them, I'm sick of hearing Fight Fire with Fire. So my mom's like, well, hey, I just got a Metallica CD if you want to listen to it. I'm like, all right, you know, and I grab Reload, I put in the CD player, I'm looking at the back, and it's like, the images are kind of weird, but they look, they do not look like a metal band, they look like Limp Bizkit or some shit. Mm. I'm like, ooh, like, okay, I don't know about the look, but, well, hey, let's listen to music, you know. And I just hear Fuel, uh, Memory Remains, which ironically, Memory Remains, I, I love that song now, it's probably the only song I like off that album, and like, you know, Unforgiven Part like 7 or whatever, <laughs> and oh, I was just so turned off, and I was like, fuck this Metallica band, and I think I literally, I, I think I gave up on Metallica for like, almost a year, until I heard Creeping Death, and like, Ride the Lightning, and I was just like, blown away.
1: It's kind of like uh, getting into Kiss with Pot in the Shade, and then... That kept me from getting into Kiss, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's an odd album to start. With. It is,
2: yeah, and I just thought, fuck this Metallica band, They're a bunch of fucking posers. And it was shortly after Metallica, I, I heard about Megadeth and how, you know, it's just like, it was one of those things, you can't escape the fact that they were big rivals with each other, like, you're, you're like, kind of Team Megadeth or Team Metallica, and I heard, I think it was like, you know, my dad, I think, had Grace Hits or something, so I must have heard, like, Peace Cells or one of the hits. And I thought, ooh, like, this is more like it. This is a fucking real metal band. Their name's cool, mega death, you know, that's (laughs) badass. Um, I always liked Dave Mustaine's vocals, too. Even to this day, I still think he's a better vocalist than James Hetfield. Uh, I mean, I like James's voice on the first three Metallica albums, but after that, even, like, the new album that they released that I I do like, I hate his voice now. I hate that crooning style he does. Whereas Dave, I always love that weird, like, whiny, like, voice that he has. Which someone once told me that he sounds like a thrashier version of like Stephen Piercy from Rat, and ironically, I literally can't unhear that now because every time I hear Megadeth or Rat, I just think of that voice and how like, oh yeah, they they're very eer- eerily similar.
1: But yeah, I, I can look, hear that. I always thought also there's there's an Alice Cooper influence too.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially when he does the kind of spoken word kind of stuff. Yep. There it
2: is. But yeah, and I can, man, I that was a big thing about. It. I loved his voice, and and because I was young at the time, you know, I was only in like second grade or like it was like first or second grade when I discovered Megadeth. I thought he was cool because Megadeth still had long hair, whereas yeah. Metallica looked like a bunch of fucking looked like a damn boy band at that point. And I thought, oh well, a bunch of fucking posers. At least <laughs> Dave Mustaine still got the long hair. He's still a fucking metalhead waving the freak flag, you know. Never um, cut it. Yep, you always yep. kept it. And, yep. uh, yeah, man, I just, I, I loved Megadeth, and I think up, you know, up until a certain point, I only had, like, greatest hits, uh, but the first Megadeth album I got was this one. Wow. Which, I, this one, I was like, excited about doing this episode because my uncle, who, he loves some metal, you know, he likes a lot of, like, thrash, but he also likes, like, some weird stuff, too, like some popier ear he likes some poppier, like, metal, too. Like, some of the Warrant and all that shit. Because of, of the era he grew up in. But he gave me this box of, like, CDs and tape cassette tapes they had. And, it, like I said, it was, like, a weird mix. Because you got, like, Thrash, like, Anthrax, Metallica, and, like, all these free like, heavy bands. S.O.D. But then he'd have shit like Cherry Pie by Warrant and, like, a Cup of Poison. And I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. But, uh, I got this CD. And, uh... I loved it, and I love the fact that it didn't have, like, a big hit, because at the time, I didn't know about uh, In My Darkest Hour, so basically, this album was awesome because my first Megadeth album, but it didn't have any hits on it, and I think that's why I kind of like it, because uh, it didn't have the hits on there, and it just flowed so perfectly as an album. I love the cover, and a lot of people bitch about this album cover, because, like, Vic Rowhead looks like... Horrible, it looks like some... Hor- it's almost like the first Megadeth album cover, which a lot of people also hate, but I love... It's so easy goofy-looking.
1: I, I love both of them. Yeah, yeah the I love reasons. it. I love how... To it's me, so- they're creepy. It's just creepy-looking.
2: It is, yeah. I love, like, kind of artwork like that, where it's almost, like, kind of ominous and almost kind of creepy-looking, because it's so it's just different, you know.
1: Yeah, it's like what, you know the term video nasty? Like yeah, the, yeah, yeah it, it's like a video nasty like VHS cover from like the 80s where it's just like you feel like you're looking at something like it's kind of cheap and creepy and you really shouldn't be kind of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the vibe I get from this album cover and especially the the first uh, killing is is my business, whereas when it's not like just full on. I mean, I like Sells and you know, Rust Never Sleeps. It's nice artwork, but it's a little cleaner and more like that comic book style. Yeah, whereas this is just dirtier. This is and, just dirtier.
2: Yeah, more. It's it's like the music on the album, yeah. and that's one thing where like, I you know, and I don't hate Rust in Peace like a lot of people think. I just don't think it's the greatest Megadeth album. It's a decent album, but to me, it's not Megadeth. I feel like this was the last like album to really have that that Megadeth sound. Because once Marty Freeman joined and he did Rest in Peace, it's like the sound really cleaned up. I always make this comparison with people. I always tell people, you know, if Metallica, if, you know, bringing a Metallica album to a party is like bringing weed to a party, then bringing a Megadeth album to a party is like bringing cocaine. It's just, you know, weed's great, but then, like, coke is just more, it's more dangerous, it's more scary. Like, you feel like you shouldn't be doing it. You know, it's just not, it's not as safe as Metallica. That's always the comparison I make, and that was... What I loved about, you know, the first three Megadeth albums was they're just, they're meaner, they're dirtier, they're faster. It was like they, they were trying to be like nastier and meaner than, uh, Metallica, whereas Rust in Peace are kind of cleaning up their sound. It's more polished, more precise. Um, and yeah, I just, I love this album. And like I said, nothing against Rust in Peace, but I, uh, this one to me is the last of the classic Megadeth sound.
1: Before they can't change and polish their sound. I, I get what you're saying. Listen, I love Rust in Peace. And, oh, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad album. It's a gr- I think it's a good fun. album. Uh, uh, and I, I mean, it's it's heavy. It's still a very heavy, oh, trashy yeah. album. But I, I get what you're saying from a certain standpoint, especially a production standpoint, it's it's not as grimy as the first three albums. Yeah. That's the way I say it. There is a griminess to the first three albums, and there's something a little more dangerous and and uh, sinister about them that And to you... their
2: credit that's probably what helped them
1: that's yeah. probably what
2: helped them kind of become part of the big four and become as big as they are well i think because well, they... they cleaned up their sound whereas i felt if they stayed with this style forever it probably wouldn't have favored them in the long run like popularity wise i to be honest i think if they kind
1: of kept going this route Dave Mustaine probably wouldn't have lived very long. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel like the griminess is connected to a kind of psychotic, drug-induced way of mm-hmm. living. And I feel like he, obviously, behind the scenes, kind of decided to kind of get his shit together. Yeah. And like, I'm gonna, you know, not like get these <laughs> crazy drug addict jazz guitarists. <laughs> and, and, and just get some dudes yeah. that'll play normal and and... And kind of get his shit together and be like, yeah, I want to really compete with Metallica. I want to get my game going on here. So I think he. Probably turned to Christ at that moment. I don't know exactly.
2: (laughs) I think that was a little bit later because he still had some demons like in the 90s and whatnot. But also, too, this album, ironically, because Rest in Peace is really a change in sound, uh, even though it's still a pretty kick ass thrash metal album, it's a lot cleaner song. Ironically, too, this is like the last album to have a title with the. the, the dot, 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 dot in the middle end. of the title. Edwin, what's what's the dot, dot, dots called? Because you're more like a scholar than I am. Like, I failed English class twice in yeah. high school because Mr. Miko, my English <laughs> teacher was pretty smoking hot, so I couldn't
1: focus. It's <laughs> und- understandable, my friend. Yeah, What, it, what it, is it, that? You call that an ellipsis. An elipsis. Ellipsis. Or ellipses? An ellipsis. But I usually like to just say dot, dot, dot myself. Yeah, it's more fun. The thing too, remember, I, I, I joke about this in the video because I say that overall, and I do believe this, uh, Megadeth has better lyrics than Metallica and I think their overall Dave's just... He's, listen, I, I don't want to get too into Dave Mustaine and his politics and the kind of person he is. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's safe to say that he's a psycho. (laughs) Oh my god, yeah. I'm just saying everyone
0: should
2: say that. Come on. In the 80s, he thought, like, Reagan was, like, the devil and, like, he was gonna blow up the fucking... He was gonna nuke everyone.
1: I I think some people think of him as, like, a right-wing guy and he is to a degree, but that's, like, really uh, putting him in a box. I mean, he's just crazy... Uh, reactionary, independent, you know, and, yep. and he—he's very subversive with his uh, the things he says, and and I don't agree with a lot of them. And he's over the years, he has said a lot of xenophobic and homophobic things that I don't think are cool. Oh, yeah,
2: and we'll get into that too with one song.
1: Yeah, so you know, and I don't think that shit's cool. But at the same time, despite, but I think he. Let's just say that I think he's a very damaged man. Obviously. Oh,
2: obviously. Yeah. I don't know
1: what happened. You know, when he was a kid, you know, and I don't want to, you know, s- that's, you know, s- say things against this man who I do admire as a musician and songwriter. But obviously, something happened when he was a child or adolescent that fucked him up. You know, I think James Heffield to a degree as well. But not as, yeah. mu- but not as much as they. <laughs> I know, know
2: James, with him, it was his mom dying of cancer, and she was part of a religion where they didn't believe in medicine and whatnot. Yeah, they, they were. I forget what Dave's story was, because I, I did read his book, like, back in, like, 12th grade when it came out.
1: Was there abuse?
2: I would guess if was I think there was abuse. abuse. I think it came yeah. from, like, a broken home. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, he, he
1: was definitely – he had a chip on his shoulder, man. He yeah. was a very angry guy. He's a very um, angry guy. He's very – and it's displaced sometimes. But at the same time, this is the thing. I mean, we're talking about thrash metal. We're talking about, you know, music. It's like punk rock, heavy metal – do you want your guys making music like that to all be totally together, reasonable, nice guys, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. he's an artist. He's a mad artist, you know? And like a mad artist, he says crazy things. He, he, he's, he's a, you know, he's, I'm just saying that you, you don't go... To if you want to listen to a thrash metal album, looking for sanity, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's fucking rock and roll. That's the thing. Yeah, like, he can be a crazy psycho as long as he's writing great music. And this is the thing too. And I, I I'm not being glib about this, but seriously, I think Dave was saying is someone that if he didn't have music would be like one of these mad people that like shoots people or something. Oh like, my god, yeah, he, he just has that music. vibe. If he did have music, he'd be, like, someone that could be a mass shooter. He just oh, had... Oh, for ap- real. That's, like, a lot of, like, yeah. these musicians I love.
2: Because yeah. they, they do. They got that chip on their shoulder, whereas they if they didn't song. have an outlet, like, music to yeah. to put that anger into, they'd probably be doing some pretty bad things, yeah, you know? Yeah,
1: and, and so that's, that's why we should support stuff like this. That's why we should support... Support megadeaths. There should be more Megadeths. You know, yep. we'd actually have less death then. You know, that's the irony. Uh, less death if there was more Megadeths. because they channel in. That's the idea is to channel it, channel in all that displaced rage and anger. And I, it's not all displaced. I mean, his anger towards the government and the system, I do feel is. Oh yeah. On, on the money, uh, but you know rather... so half the stuff he's angry about, I agree with, and he should be angry about, and then some of the shit I think is just, you know, displaced rage in the wrong direction, but regardless, put it in music, put it in art, and splatter it with mad passion and fury, and that way, it, like, you know, it, it soothes, you know, it tapers off, tapers down your bloodlust, <laughs> you know, <laughs> keeps you from killing people, and... So that's a good thing. So we should encourage that. We should encourage that Dave Mustaine build a career of making awesome music rather than killing people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just even just killing Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, James heffield should realize that. Every time he listens to a good Megadeth song, he could say, hey, this song I kept- that song, you that. This, yeah, and, and it kept it kept Dave from killing me in my sleep one night. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but for, and, you know, I'm happy fucking uh, Metallica kicked them to the curb and they did it in such a shitty way because that may sound wrong, but, man, it, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have Megadeth. We wouldn't have these two killer bands that were
1: putting out some great music in the fucking 80s. Yeah. yeah, and that's always I, I always felt sad, like, you know, when he, that pathetic display in the Metallica documentary, you know, some kind of monster. I was like, Dave, hey, like, you just thought, like, dude, I understand, like, I know Metallica fucked you up good when they put you on that bus. Yeah, he, he does, go-
2: <laughs> I, I guess, I, guess I kind of get too because, like, you know, even though Meg- Megadeth was very successful, and they, I mean, they're still very successful this day, Metallica's always been, like, number one. I think it's just the... Uh, being number two constantly killed him. He never did get that really moment I know, uh, during the heyday of like where he won up them. Really, like they're always he, like one step ahead, like success wise. You know, I think that always ate away at him. Which I know
1: it's unfortunate because yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with being number two. <laughs> uh, it ain't just, Ricky uh, Bobby, you know. This ain't Talladega yeah, and- Nights and you're still rich, you're still successful, and in fact, this is the thing too, I think he thinks about it just the wrong way. I mean, man, you're number two, but you're number two in, without being just the lead guitarist, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you're number two, and it's totally your band, in a way that you would have had to compromise staying in Metallica. You could have never done half the shit that you did in Megadeth musically and artistically. If you were a Metallica, like yeah, you would have got away more definitely than Kirk Hammett. You would it would have been you would have. This is why I don't think ultimately it could have worked because I just don't think there could have been three equals in that band because that's the thing. You oh know, God, no! Fans, it's enough just to have two people. I mean, look, they needed to bring in some guy to just coach just to get Lars and James on the same page.
0: <laughs> so imagine
1: three guys. I mean, that's the thing. Like you know, you have Lennon McCartney. You can have Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. You can have David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen, and even that's, you know. Look, that's, that's been, Even that's, like, you know, chaotic. That been, you know, Don Dock and George Lynch. Like, oh, and that shit. doesn't matter. But you have three guys that are the boss? It just doesn't work. You know, three is a crowd. You can't yeah. have three guys be the boss. And ultimately, that would have happened. And I think, you know, when you really get down to it, you know, they might say it was drinking and his, you know, erratic and mean-spirited behavior, or whatever crazy, you know, thing that they did that finally set them off, but, you know, ultimately, it was the thing is, like, we can't have too many bosses in the band, <laughs> you know? James and Lars had this thing that they kind of, whether or not it was something they articulated or just kind of sense that they knew that they could kind of work with each other and be what they needed to be to get Metallica on the top. Dave was his own wild thing that yeah. he be able to control. And Dave should realize that it's cooler to be number two, still be really successful, and just be your own wild thing and be the lord and total you know, uh, boss of your own world. Like, that's the exactly. thing. He's the king of Megadeth world, like Lemmy is of like Motorhead. Like, this is you, man, and it, it's all you. Why? And fucking Metallica started to suck. Why do you care? Why do you care? You just, like, just, you know, it's just sad that, like, you cared even into the 2000s. By the 2000s, you should have been like, whatever, I'm happy being number two and being cooler. And then he made himself less cool because he cared. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that was just, I mean, that movie
2: even ruined Metallica's image because Metallica just looked like, they went from being, even though they kind of sold out at that point, they they went from being, like, kind of these badass metal guys to, like, oh, Jesus, these, like, whiny little bitches who need therapy, and then, like, Dave Mustaine didn't make it any better. That was honestly Dave
1: Mustaine's chance to make himself look better. Yeah. Exactly, he could have won in there being like, say, hey guys, uh, yeah, you seem like, uh, you're, like, the, you seem like a bunch of crybabies. Stop crying. Make some rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> he he could have came up cool and he's like, hey, I'm gonna go make a cool Megadeth record. I'm gonna go do the system that Instead, he end up making <laughs> himself look worse by, like, fucking crying and shit. It's like, oh, God. I think it's this weird thing that he has to mirror. Metallica. It's like because they it were is, all <laughs> because they were all being crybaby bitches. He's like, I gotta be a crybaby bitch now. <laughs> <laughs> there was way too much estrogen in the air when that
2: movie was fucking made. Oh main, fuck shit! Hell, oh, like I
1: just had this flash of Kirkham. It just the look on his face when they tell him he can't play guitar solos. Oh, my God,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I felt sorry for him, too. I felt, I felt bad for him. him. You know, he's part- so polite, he's not going to say anything, you know? <laughs> Jason News, only the basis of Metallica, all three bassists of Metallica, are the only guys that seem cool in that band. <laughs> <laughs> for real, for real. <laughs> but, yeah, man, uh, this, and this,
2: this album, too, man, I mean, this was, like, probably... Uh, this is Megadeth probably at, like maybe their most dysfunctional, and you could definitely tell this is a dysfunctional. Oh, yeah. As much as I love it, it's a very dysfunctional album because uh, man, all kinds of problems are going on. Chris Polan, Gar Samuel, uh, Gar Samuelson were gone because they were just having issues with their heroin addiction. Yeah, uh, Chris Polan I guess was like selling equipment uh, to pay for his addiction while they were on tour, and it, just, it got to a point, a bullying point where they had to kick him out and. Yeah, it's crazy that they ended up releasing Rust in Peace after this album and then really turned a page. Because if they didn't release Rust in Peace with that lineup that they had for that album, I think Megadeth probably would have been done after this. Because this album really was like almost, uh, like I said, I love it. But this is a this is an album that could have broken any other band and like been their last their last deal. But Megadeth recovered from it, you know. Because it's a it's funny too because this album's like comes after. Rustin uh, not Rustin Peace, Peace Sells, which was actually pretty big. Yep. And then this album was definitely kind of a, a step backwards for them, even though it, I like it. It
1: still actually it still did well. Uh, it still yeah. went flat. It still went flat. I mean that was without any radio play or any like yep. the the song that could have been the biggest song like uh, darkest hour, MTV banned the video. So yeah. so like But then again so, you gotta look at a lot of those or it sold it sold
2: well like when it first came out and you gotta think that a lot of that is from like you know peace sells from the success of that because they're already kind of riding high yeah. but then after that i feel like it kind of tapered off a little bit and then this this is definitely like i said this is an album that any other band probably would have never have weathered the storm they probably would have collapsed after this but luckily i mean megadeth uh recovered with Rust in Peace and got back on the charts, got back to, you know, selling more albums, and they have
1: a long career now because of it. I think uh, Dave Mustaine's uh, rage and uh, directed (laughs) at Metallica, his competition with Metallica fueled him and got him through this dark period. (laughs) If if he didn't have that, if he didn't have trying to best Metallica... Yeah, I think this would have been the last Megadeth album. Dave Mustaine would have been dead in about a year or two. Yeah, but, but he, he's like, no, I can't I can't let Metallica win. So he, he pulled himself together and got a new lineup and yeah. But you yeah, know, we'll talk about that album one day. But yeah, so one thing when when you listen to this, you know, as a child, uh huh. Did you realize how weird and dark this album was? You know, as a kid, I didn't really
2: notice it. I know... The only thing I really knew was these songs were not on the radio as much. Uh, even my In My Darkest Hour, like... In My Darkest Hour, like, recently has become a big hit, but... Man, when I was a kid, that song still really wasn't, like, played on the radio or well-known enough. Um, it's kind of like how we were talking on that Doors episode about 20th Century Fox. Like, nowadays, it's, like, considered, like, a hit, and it's going to be yeah. included on Greatest Hits Package. But, you know, originally it really wasn't. And that's kinda how in my darkest hour was. I mean, that really wasn't that big. Whereas nowadays it's a very well known Megadeth song. So I mean I like, yeah. I liked it because it was an eighties Megadeth album, but it was it didn't have any of the hits on it. It was something totally different. As a short album, which I really love. I love short albums. Yeah. Like Van Halen like the first six Van Halen's and all that. I like a good short album that just you know, no filler, trim the fat, it's just good from beginning to end, and it leaves you wanting to listen to it again. And Early I love it, it, minutes. Just, it hit with me.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and one thing, and I was like this with, like, ACDC's Powerage, like, when you discover an album where you none of the songs are, like, you know, quote-unquote hits, you kind of, like, it becomes, like, your album in a way. Yeah. Like, I discovered this. These songs are my songs, Yeah. As
2: well as things where, like, yeah, there may not be a standout song like a hit but flows together so perfectly like with Power Age or uh, the other one being uh, Flick of the Switch yeah. by AC/DC, where it doesn't have a hit and if you probably put if you did like a track by track where you put tracks up against it with like another album it probably wouldn't fare too well but as an album like the way it flows together it would win because it's just it flows together so perfectly
1: yeah I, like I said I only got one complaint about one song and in- sequencing of one song. I think
2: it might be the one I'm thinking of as well because there's one on here I don't think is really the greatest. I won't skip it if I'm listening to it.
1: Uh, yeah, sometimes I skip it, the song I'm talking about, so we'll see if it's the same song. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fairly obvious, I would think, if you're looking at what, at what these songs are, but maybe it's as obvious to me and not obvious to you, so I'm curious. Uh, yeah, before we jump into the tracks, and I think when we review this track for track, initially we should be reviewing the original mix. Like, yeah, you know, I consider that. Yeah. I mean, life. I'll kind
2: of, when I talk about each track, I'll probably compare them, because I, I listen to the original mix, and, uh... It had been a while since I listened to like you know listened to it for like both versions and man I forgot how much better the original mix was. But, yeah, we'll, we'll jump them.
1: into that when we get into it track by track. Okay, we can do it that way. Yeah, I listened to them back uh, to back to uh, before hopping on this. I listened to yeah. the remix, which I don't really listen to as much as the original mix. Actually, I, I usually mm-hmm. listen to the original mix, but you know I have both on my computer. Nice. I list I listen to the remix first and then I listen to the original. And uh, just to say a few things about this, you you brought up about you know uh, about you know changing the, you know the members, the guitarist, and all that right before yeah. this album. You know, the thing, Jeff Young, he does a really good job on this album. It's interesting because you know he was that he originally Dave uh, picked the guitarist from a band Malice. Are you very familiar with Malice? Yeah. Well, here, uh, you want to just jump
2: into it, and I'll bring we can bring that up with the first song. Yeah, yeah we, could, we could do it that All way. That yeah, cause I want to talk about that too, cause I actually really love Malice, so. Well, why don't we, uh, just bust into this album, and, uh, Edwin, I'll let you start with the the first track, Into the Lungs of Hell.
1: Into the Lungs of Hell. Sounds cool, because it is cool, it's awesome. Especially the original mix, where they bury those Sergeant Pepper fucking horns. Oh, good <laughs> lord. In the mix, where they belong, buried. Hey, it's kind of cool when you just hear this faint kind of thing that... It's very ominous. It's ominous, because you're like, I didn't even realize they were horns until that fucking remix. I just knew that there was some sound under the guitars. (laughs) That's You know what I mean? I just knew there was some kind of orchestrated kind of sound under the guitars. It was like phantom horns under this apocalyptic sound, you know? And it was really cool. And... And, you know, then the, this that's actually one of the big. My, I have a lot of issues with the remix. One oh, of my biggest. Jameis butchered, like, the first four albums, the damn fucking oh. remixes. Remix art. All you had to do, just remaster. All you had to do was remaster the album. Yeah, just
2: bump up the volume a little bit.
1: Unfortunately, too, you know what sucks is this is the only album of the first four that there is no remaster of the original mix, which really bothers me, because I have remasters since, since those remixes there have been remasters of the original mix of Rust in Peace, Peace Cells, and there was an import, which I bought, I got an import of the a remastered version of the original mix of "Telling um, is My Business. So mm-hmm. I have remasters of all the original mixes, except for this one. Yeah. I only have that original, like, rip from the original CD, and, you know, I, you know, I turned up the volume a little bit in my, you know, the volume faders and all that, so it's, and it sounds fine. It sounds great. I still prefer it to the remix but it would have been really nice if they did a proper remastered version of the original mix and they still have not to this day have not done that so that sucks because this is an important goddamn album it's a classic this is they should fucking recognize respect it and give you that option you know at least with the other ones you have the option to go original or remix you know he fucking George Lucas to his albums he totally did and that's the thing in the lungs of hell those fucking Sgt. Pepper horns hell I didn't even like them on Sgt. Pepper <laughs> I especially don't like them on a fucking Megadeth album uh, but but that aside awesome song, song, awesome instrumental. I, you know, we'll get into this more when we get into the second track, but I really kind of feel this is an intro to just the second song, so to me, these songs are kind of connected, like one big long epic, but it's awesome. I love the guitar sound. It's It's just so weird and dark, especially the original mix. It's just so... It's not like anything else that any other of the those thrash bands would have done. You know, that's the yeah. thing. Like Dave is always showing that he's far more musically idiosyncratic and eccentric than any of the other his other thrash you know peers. And just just musically, like even before he gets into singing and the lyrics, just this song alo- alone shows how much more eccentric Megadeth is and darker. You know, it's just really dark and strange. And it, it sounds like it's from hell. Like, it's coming from hell. It does, yeah. And, and uh, it, but it's like, the, the way it sounds kind of eerily triumphant, you know, like, like the, this is like demons rising out from hell and being like, yeah, look at us. It's creepy. I love it. It's awesome. What do you think of Into the Lungs of Hell?
2: Oh, man, she's a killer instrumental. And sometimes I, I love it when heavy metal albums start off with, like, kind of an instrumental, like a real short kind of instrumental. Uh, I posted a picture on, uh, I think this was even back before I did, I had the podcast. I think I posted on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast page where I posted a picture of this album, Killers by Iron Maiden, Screaming for Vengeance by Judas Priest, and uh, that Razor album, which I cannot remember the damn name of it now, Some of British Steel? No, no, Razor. Oh, oh the band Razor. God damn, what was that album called? I, not Malicious, Evil Invaders. All, right. all I'm like, what do all four of these albums have in common? And all four of them start with instrumentals. And this song fucking rules. To me, you're saying it's like sounds like it's from hell. To me, this sounds like almost... Uh, it sounds like you're uh, in a spaceship. Like a spaceship's about to get launched. So It's real triumphant and victorious sounding. And all of a sudden, the spaceship explodes and you get sucked into hell by a damn demon. It's so intense and crazy... I do agree with you, man, because I hadn't listened to the original mix in a long time. I had the original CD, but the thing is, when I listen to my music on the go, ever since Apple Music and all that, I just listen to what's ever on Apple Music, or if it's not on Apple Music, I listen to it on YouTube because I also have a YouTube account. I listen to that like, when I listen to my music on the go. My CDs basically just stay on the computer, and like especially nowadays, they're mainly just so I can put background music on our podcast. But I hadn't heard the original mix in so long, and I still love the... the the album with the remix but man that original mix just hits so much differently and yeah the horns are not as they're not as upfront in the original mix which i like i like it when they're a little bit more ominous you can't really point out what they are you just hear something in the background whereas now when i listen to the remix version holy shit it's just annoying as hell with them sergeant pepper horns but i love this i love this song i love it if megadeth opened a show with like Playing this before they come out on stage, kind of like an Iron Man would do at Ida, the Ides of March. Yeah, Black or some Habit, bands
1: do. Black Sabbath did uh, like Superstar Czar for a while. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Where like they play this over the PA right before they come out on stage. I think that'd be fucking sick. And this this man is some great guitar work, and we definitely got to talk because this is the this is the first album with Jeff Young and the only album with Jeff Young on guitar because Chris Poland obviously, who is my favorite Megadeth guitarist. He had left you know he was fired after the peace cells tour you know his drug problem got too out of hand he was selling equipment like we talked about to pay his addiction and dave fucking kicked him to the curb and originally it was supposed to be uh the guitarist from malice what was his name uh, jay reynolds yeah and basically what happened was jay reynolds he needed to learn the songs like the megadeth songs and he gave them to his guitar teacher who was jeff young and Dave was, like, kind of pissed about that, saying, like, oh, what the fuck? How do you not know how to play these damn songs? I'm just going to hire your guitar teacher instead. And he hired Jeff Young, and I fucking love Jeff Young. I like him better than Mari Friedman, and a lot of people are going to give me shit for that, but I like him better than Marty Friedman because I like the sound better than any Marty Friedman album. And Jeff Young's phenomenal, and he was kind of a weird fit for Metallica, even, like, look-wise. You know, he does not, he looks like the odd man out when you look at pictures of the band during this era. And he was, like, a glam metal guy, but, man, he could fucking shred on the guitar, and I know this song, it it sounds really impressive, but I heard a lot of people say, like, it's something, like, it's really simple to play on guitar, and it doesn't look as impressive to play, but it sounds amazing. I just love this tune. Great way to, like, begin the album off. Uh,
1: yeah, I think I'm kind of with you, uh, this, uh, I, overall, I give Chris Pullen the edge. He's my favorite Megadeth guitar. Although... My favorite guitar solos on a Megadeth song mm-hmm. is on this album. So Jeff Young trades off licks with Dave. It's like yeah. my favorite guitar solo ever. And I'm and not slamming Marty
2: Friedman. He's a talented guitarist. Oh, he's guitarist. amazing. But he's I never he fit with Megadeth. He he's... was definitely more clean, more precise. Whereas Chris Pollan, Jeff Young. And the funny thing is, like you were mentioning, you know, Chris Pollan's a jazz fusion guitarist. like, And then Jeff Young was like more of a...
1: He was more of a hair metal guy yeah, who was really talented, but... But this is the weird thing. Jeff Young, I was reading up on this just tonight. He got into jazz, too, in, like, the mid-'90s. Yeah, well, he was a guitar teacher, so you know he's got to be, like, fluent in, like, so many different styles. Yeah, it's funny, because I was reading that, because they said, like, he had some jazz fusion band in the-'90s. I said, wait a minute, I thought Chris Paulin was the jazz guy. Yeah. Was like, yeah, they both were. But that's because, yeah, like, uh, so obviously he was eclectic. And, you know, he wasn't just picking people because they were part of the scene. I mean, even, you know, I mean, even, uh, you know, David Elvison, you know, was, he was more of a hair metal guy. Like, he only got into was rash because Dave, like, he said he never even heard that music before Dave Mustaine.
2: Yeah, well, wasn't the story, like, the way Dave Mustaine discovered Dave Elvison was, he was living above him in an apartment. And he was playing Run With The Devil bassline over and over until Dave, like, finally flipped out and, like, through like, a, a potted plants up yeah. his balcony or some shit, telling him to shut up. And when you,
0: so look,
1: yeah. at, and when you look at him, you know, when you look at, it, you know, D.E., you know, yes. I mean, he's, he's, like, and it's got nothing to do, you know, things he's gotten into in recent years. But, I mean, he's like a party guy. I mean, he looks yeah. like he, he, he would have been in a hair metal band if he happened to his next door neighbor was not Dave Hussein but you know was a guy like you know in an up, in a hair metal band probably ended yeah. up in that kind of band so he went in that he direction he's a fun loving guy yeah he doesn't he doesn't seem like a guy that necessarily would have went thrash if it just didn't happen to be fate of who his neighbor was yeah. but, but that's the thing again that I think made Megadeth different from a lot of these other bands you know and that's well I'll say this for when we talk about Anthrax but I'll just say that I am pro Joey Baldonna and yep. I like that he was a different kind of guy, and not like a thrash guy, in that band. And I know that's something that never really set right with them. But to me, that's what made Anthrax a little different. And and Megadeth, Dave, like I said, because he he was like he was like a crazy, he was more of a crazy musical artist that was looking at who are the people that can create the sound that I'm going for. Real
2: technical speed, crazy fucking style. And you gotta have a talented musician to do that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. he was more, he was looking at things, he was approaching things very early on from a musical standpoint rather than a what's cool and what's the scene. You know, like who's heavy and who's in the scene. He didn't give a fuck about that. You know, and like I said, even, even as, I guess you could say to a certain degree, yeah, I mean, Sonically Slayer is heavier than Megadeth, if we're comparing the 80s Slayer yep. with 80s Megadeth. And I'm a huge 80s Slayer fan, especially with uh, their Slayer. first album is my favorite album, No Mercy. I'm a big mm-hmm. Jonah Mercy guy. I like uh, Live Undead, the live but album. I, well, that's like perfect period, like, <laughs> right, you know, right after, you know. The, but they're
2: very, like, they're they're sloppy, and I'm not saying that as an insult, I like the sloppiness of Slayer. I like that they're, they're just very chaotic
1: and just I I think they're intense. also in a way not as dangerous if you get what I'm saying because they don't have that coked up madness there's something um, they're essentially like a they're essentially when you get down to it Slayer is a better venom and I like Venom. yeah I love
2: fucking venom I love
1: Venom, but you know what I mean like Slayer is kind of just doing what Venom's doing like it's just like uber evil Satanist like it's kind of a show yeah it's not really what they're about in real life and it's just like and we're gonna play really heavy and sound really mean And we're gonna kick ass. And that's cool. But it's... it's, Dave is like... It's more like... Real madness. You know what I mean? It's not... It's not heavy satanic show. It's... I'm a really fucked up angry guy... That's gonna do all this crazy musical shit. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing.
2: I always compare... When it comes to the big four... I always say it like this... Metallica is the cool like jock guy who's real popular but he's kinda of a badass but later on he's gonna get a girlfriend and he's gonna kinda of change and not hang out <laughs> with you guys as much. Megadeth's like the crate, you know, Megadeth you know, they do more about politics, nuclear war. They're the more serious guy who's a little bit more crazier than you know Metallica, but you know, they're still a little bit more serious in their ways. Slayer's the crazy kid that just like is absolutely nuts. Bizarre and all the crazy shit. And Anthrax are the kids with the headgear,
1: like reading comic books on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's another thing. Magnet F is definitely, I think, the smartest of the, yeah. of the four. I know Anthrax. Scott Ian likes to think they're the smart ones. They're not the smart. They're, they're, they're the ever. comic book nerds of the yeah. of the big four. <laughs> yeah. They're not. They're, they're ner- They might be nerdier, but that's not smart. <laughs> you know, yeah. Exactly. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Megadeth uh, is definitely
2: like they're the cool, intelligent guy. They're like the really cool guy who's like really smart, yeah, but like also a little crazy. They, they like yeah. to drink and party still, but but they're very intelligent.
1: Yeah, they they got a black trench coat on and they're they're reading. Uh, you know the they're they're, <laughs> they're, they're smart
2: guys that got laid
1: essentially. Yeah. yeah, they're they're reading like the Republic, but they they got laid and they like you know. Shoot someone at, at some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah unless they dangerous. have a fan. <laughs> the Little dangerous. but yeah. So, I guess that, that's to say, I like Jeff Young. I oh, me too. I fucking love like, him. He's my second favorite guitarist. I can get why maybe ultimately he wasn't gonna really fit in with the band because he, he looked, looked he didn't look the part, you know. I mean, look Chris
2: Paul didn't look the part either. He had the weird yeah. like looking bullet. but like Jeff Young had the really like he has pants like up to his fucking nipples. He wore his guitar really high, and he had like the He looks like the original host for Headbangers Ball. Where it looks like he he's like a pretty boy with like the goofy looking hair.
1: Yeah, he's a school teacher too. I mean, I mean, he's a he's a guitar guitar teacher. teacher, Yeah, he's a guitar teacher. So you know, it wasn't going to last. So, but for for a moment there, he's doing. I mean, from what I imagine, I imagine even a lot of the solos they were probably all written, and he probably by Dave. And this guy comes in and just realizes what. Dave wants. its a little like how Frank Zappa would use like Steve Vai and stuff like that. Like that's the thing—you bring in this guy that's able to do the shit you want him to do, and yep. that—that's how he was thinking back then. I think when with the with the Mar, you know, Marty Friedman and the you know that lineup, the subsequent lineup—it's more like Dave's going a little more like you said, a little more normcore. I'm cleaning up, clean it up a little. I'm bit. getting like a proper metal band with a lineup that stays consistent for a few albums and yeah on tour we got the look we got it down whereas there was something weirder going on here and he was like utilizing musicians in a different way with maybe the exception of uh de he was he was using (laughs) the uh other two guys like you know just like just they they were just musicians to carry out his vision.
2: Yeah, whereas I feel Marty Friedman, he really let Marty Friedman have a little bit more say, because like, he's, in the previous three albums, he's recruiting these amazing musicians, but it's his vision, whereas Marty Friedman came in the band, and he kind of let Marty Friedman bring in a little bit of his influence, so it's more like they're working as a team, instead of a bunch of amazing musicians trying to make Dave's vision happen. Yeah, and that's why I feel the sound really changed with Megadeth, where it kind of, you
1: know, it's nothing like the first three albums. Yeah, I think in a way, though, in a weird way, I do think his in the 2000s, after, you know, Marty Friedman left, he kind of went back a little bit to that. Oh, yeah, like, no, obviously, nowadays, it's definitely just, it's the Dave show. Yeah, like, when I listen to, like, the beginning of, like, Endgame, to me, that feels closest to the spirit of, like, this album than yeah. anything before that, you know? And where it's just, like, crazy solos, and it's it's just... Tough it's just more eccentric and musical, and he kind of got back to that again, and, but yeah, in the 90s, yeah, it was it was, it was was a band. It was different. It was kind yep. of a band, and that's, yeah, a lot of people don't realize Marty Friedman's the guy that kind of also pushed him to go more pop, because he was into all that, like, uh, Japanese pop music and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So so, yeah, it's a different thing. So anyway, so digression aside, but we're both, it sounds like we're, we, we agree on a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah. Regarding their, Man, their- that song's only like what like a minute something long and man oh. we talked about that we talked about <laughs> that song longer than the song itself. Yeah. So why don't you talk about the next track that basically it's basically a uh, a two-in-one song
1: Yeah. and that has set the world afire. God fucking damn, set the world <laughs> afire. Damn! That's say. Like, that <laughs> song is so fucking badass. So heavy. I mean, that's the thing. You have this great build up of, you know, with the Into the Lungs of Hell. And then, you know, especially in the original mix, you hear the, the, the old timey song and then the nuclear, you know, bomb drops. And then, boom, kicks right in. It's badass. It gets, to me, uh, I love when it gets into like the verse, the guitar hooks during the verses. It has a yeah. diamond head kind of, um, am I evil sound to it. Which obviously along back when he was in Metallica, they were like covering that song and you know, oh, covering yeah. Diamond Head. So to me, it's like heavier Diamond Head and nothing wrong with that. I'm a big Diamond Head fan and I love the, the groove and the, the guitar hooks and the sound and Dave sounds so mean and then it just rages on and on. And again, in a way that's this more musical and like free, it's like more intense and freer than any of the other thrash fans get. Like when they rage out, you know, with the guitar solos, I mean there's just there's a kind of a controlled chaos that's a yeah. level of musicianship that I don't think any of the other Thrash fans have. And this is a prime example that they could get so heavy. And hey, uh, unlike your dad that got like sick of it, I love Fight Fire with Fire. It's one of my favorite <laughs> it's one of my favorite Metallica songs. And oh, it's Ride a good Light one song Ride of Lightning's my favorite Metallica album. Oh, and I, I think too. it's a masterpiece. And overall, I think that's the greatest trash album ever, but, and here's the but, I I even though I think overall that's the the greatest thrash album ever, it does feel a little more controlled than this album. Like I said, yeah. there's a real like there's a real. It's
2: more violent. I it's mean, just more that's violent. I can,
1: yeah, like like fight fire or fire might be sonically heavier than this song but this song just sounds more violent it just more sounds dangerous it just sounds more dangerous and just a little crazier and and the thing that's impressive with these guitar solos and it, this comes back again and again with a lot of the guitar soloing throughout this album between you know Dave and uh, Jeff is they always sound like they're on the brink of going out of control but yet they don't they're just like on that verge. on the edge it's on that edge and you get that throughout the song it sounds like it's on the edge of you know, blazing out of control like a raging inferno like the song suggests, which about like a nuclear holocaust. But yet somehow it doesn't. It just stays in and that's it's this really, really impressive musicianship and just so visceral and nasty and mean. And to me, like I I think this album, even with its wonky mix, could have and yeah like i know i said earlier that it still won platinum and still did well but it's you know it didn't make the waves that the album before it and the definitely not the album after it made and i feel like it could have if they got a little more proactive with the video choices and the single choices and we'll get to when we get to the next song we'll talk about what i think maybe should have been the lead-off single and i think this should have been the lead-off single i think that it kind of it. it it might have not have had the same, you know, impact as Holy Wars, but it would have kind of done a similar thing as Holy Wars, because it would have just said, like, yeah, we're the meanest, baddest band right now. Like, you know, like, it, <laughs> like especially on Headbangers Fall, I feel like in 1988, you saw a set in the World of Fire, that would have made, that would have just made Metallica look a little less cool, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. And, instead of the choice that they made for the lead off single. And so I think yeah this is a badass tune, great opener cuz you know, I mean, you know, opening track with vocals. And I think it should have been a lead off single uh for the for the album. I think it would have really showed people that Megadeth were a more badass band of Metallica. So anyway, I love the song. And of course, I know you love it too. But gush all over it.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I fucking love this song. I love that Into the Lungs of Hell just bleeds right into it. I love the intro they use for the song uh, Set the World of Fire." I, f- I forget what the fuck the name of the band was that does, it- that, does that song originally, but uh, some like old 50s band. But I don't know. I love, like, you know, 50s music, like old doo kind of songs like that being used before, like, really intense heavy metal songs. I know Zach Wild, when I saw Black Label Society, he always opens every show. He plays, uh, Crazy by Patsy Klein on a loudspeaker, and then starts the air raid siren, just kicks into whatever song he does. Something about that I just fucking love. But man, this song fucking rules, man, just, uh, you know, that was one of the things Megadeth, like, sang about a lot, you know, was politics, and, like, the nuclear war, and the evils of the government... And man, this song is just, it's fucking violent. You hear that little, like, I don't want to set the world on fire song, and you hear the nuclear bomb drop and just this machine gun sounding riff. It—the fucking riff sounds like a damn machine gun going off in the fucking apocalypse. It's just so vicious, so it just kicks you in the fucking dick and just keeps repeatedly punching you while you're fucking down. It's so violent. So aggressive. I and mean, That's what I love about them. First Megadeth albums are just Metallica was a little bit more controlled, a little bit more precise, whereas Megadeth was just more like violent. They're just meaner, they're nastier, and they're dirtier. And you could really feel it with that music, you know. Um, and I, I love the intro of the songs. I remember there's a video game when I was when I was like a teenager and like well preteen in middle school. There's this game. I think it was called like Fallout. And they actually used like that little song, the I Don't Wanna Set the Roll on Fire song, in the intro for the commercial. It was just badass. You see this, this like monster thing with like this armor on, with a gun, this apocalyptic world. It was just, it was real cool. You know, I, I played a lot of video games when I was uh, when I was younger. And so I remember like watching that commercial for that game, being so pumped for it, and man, I'd play that game and listen to this damn song all the time. And man, I just remember too, man, in middle school because I loved history class in middle school. I had a really badass teacher, uh, Miss Marshall, and she always made history class fun. But I remember learning about like the Cold War and the fear of nuclear war, and man, that shit scared the shit out of me when I was younger. And you were like, I mean, you were a kid in the eighties, so you're around like when you know the Cold War
1: was still pretty oh, bad. Yeah. I mean, do yeah, you? Did we? Like, you thought that there was going to be a nuclear bomb. Like, that was just a big part of the the culture, was the people wrote songs about it. It was in movies. And so there was this feeling that, at least, especially for the first half of the 80s, there was a feeling that, yeah, like, any day that that this could be the end. Like, it's funny because now... We're kind of in apocalyptic times again. Uh, yeah, I think about. It's, I
2: mean it's always happening, man. Sixties yeah. and there's the seventies, 80s. I mean, it just so it's always kind of a fear over our heads. There's like a little standstill yeah. where like it's not as prevalent, but then it comes back. You know, it's just sadly, it's yeah. it, it's scary. It's scary just thinking about it. I'm honestly, as I've gotten older, I'm more scared of. You know, I don't want to get too political or anything because I, I hate that kind of shit. I feel like people deal listen hear enough about that shit, so I try and keep it away from the show, but. I feel like, man, the government and what they control in our lives is a little bit more scary now than, like, nuclear war. But, man, I remember, man, middle school learning about the Cold War and learning about nukes and all this shit. That scared the shit out of me. I remember we saw this old-timey movie, which you probably know because you're you're definitely a movie guy, Failsafe. I remember watching that movie in fucking history class when we were learning about the Cold War and all that. And I I remember just almost having, like, a damn panic attack watching that movie because it was terrifying shit. You know, this ain't, like, World War Two or something where you're more, like, it's more cool to learn about. This like, terrifying shit. Like, wow, this could actually happen. We could just blow up fucking one day. And this was one of those songs, because I discovered this album around that, t- uh, I had this album around still, like, in middle school. And hearing songs like this and, like, Two Minutes to Midnight by Iron Man, it kind of helped me, like, not be as scared of it and just learn to live my life and whatnot. But, man, it's that was some terrifying shit when I first learned about it as a kid. Yeah, I didn't
1: see a failsafe, actually, but I we had a it was worse. Uh, was it was on? Like, it's one of my earliest memories. I remember as a kid watching it a, a miniseries on network television. Oh, I know
2: what you're talking about.
1: The day after. Yeah. Oh, that, you want to talk about depressing fucking <laughs> miniseries? Holy shit! It, yeah, this is like on. Oh, it was like on ABC or some shit. It was on one of the three major networks. And so it was like A prime time event And it's yeah. like You're watching the apocalypse And, the, and it's a nuclear You know uh, Bomb day So yeah I mean I was very aware of it I was very scared You were you, Being a kid in the 90s There was less fear Yeah um, the, the 90s was
2: definitely Like when I was Kind of a standstill But when yeah. I When I was in middle school And I finally first started Learning about this kind of shit Like in history class um, You know It was uh, God What the hell was it It was like uh, excuse me it was like around like May 2000 2006 7 maybe um yeah yeah it was just it, it, it's it's one of
1: those things like no matter what it's, it's very scary to think about when, when I, was, I was growing up you know I was in Florida for the majority of the 80s as a kid so I thought three things were going to kill me it was either going to be Ted Bundy an, <laughs> an alligator or a nuclear bomb <laughs> those are all <laughs> horrible fucking options <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah, so this fucking song, yeah, this fucking song just kicks the ass. So you want um, maybe I should get into the next song.
2: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Cause I, I don't know, I have a feeling this may be the song you, you're saying you
1: don't like. You have guessed correctly. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is my issue with the album. I have one issue. It's the one glaring thing that I, I well, it's, a, it's kind of a two-tier thing. Ideally, I'd prefer the song not to be on this album at all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> at very least, it shouldn't be the third track, and shouldn't be the lead, and should have been the fucking main single from the album. I. It's interesting because this album is the same year as another album, which I have a very similar feeling about, which is uh, "Ram It Down," Judas Priest, eighty-eight. Yep. Yep. And likewise, they got. Uh, a cover, a cover of a really well-known song that was the lead single, which I feel misrepresented the album. Yeah. And it's maybe it was an 88 thing. I don't know what was going <laughs> on. And not to mention,
2: too, both Juice, well, Judas Juice, Priest and Megadeth, up until this point, they were two bands that, like, man, they were, like, they put out the best covers. Judas Priest had a track where put out, like, the yeah. best covers where they really made their own. Megadeth, I mean, they only had two albums, but so they did, you know, these boots, and yeah. they did Ain't Superstitious. Which I... are
1: amazing covers. Yeah, I like, too. I know some people don't like uh, I Ain't Superstitious, but yeah. I like it. I think it's a good cover. I think cover. it's amazing. I think it's a fun cover. But let's say this. Even though... And I like that cover better than this cover. That being said, imagine if... Like... I Ain't Superstitious was the lead-off single and, and, like, the video, the representation of, of Peace out. Oh, is that wasn't, now that wasn't no, bad. It's laughable to think about it. So why is it less laughable to think of this? Like, I know it's the Sex Pistols, but to me, that's why it's, it's a boring cover. I just think it's a boring yeah. cover. It's, like, because punk is not that different from thrash to begin with, you know, musically speaking. Yeah. Uh, they got kind of a similar guitar tone and the chucka chucka kind of guitars and, and a snotty kind of you know way of singing. Like it's already there. It's like the sex pistol's influence is in there so much that there's nothing interesting about the cover. There's nothing like that's the one thing about these boots and um, I ain't superstitious that I liked was that they were totally different from the rest of the album that they were kind of funny and ironic and it's like, hey, and it showed another side of Megadeth, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and Which I thought was cool. And, and, in both cases, they weren't like, you know, like I said, they weren't like the representation of the album, they were towards the end of the album. They were towards the end or in These Boots' case, they were the, you know, it was the last track, depending if you even had the track, depending on which version. <laughs> but, you know, this, not only is this I think a boring... Co- I, I think even as far as Sex Pistols songs go, they could have picked a cooler song than this. this oh, a, yeah. like the most obvious song to pick. It's the UK. And come on, Dave And that's the thing, too. I, I even think this about... I don't even... I'm not even crazy about the Motorhead cover. Oh, no, no. He did God Save the Queen. That's, yeah. right.
2: that's uh, right. Motley
1: Crue covered Anarchy in the UK. And yeah, oh, yeah. God. You want to talk about a shit fucking oh, cover? that's... So this is better than that. In fact... I'll be honest. If I had to pick which version of the song I had to listen to, the original, is, I'd probably pick this version. Because, oh, really? Yeah, because I'm—I'm not. I'll, I'll admit this. I'm not the biggest Sex Pistols fan.
2: They're all. Oh, movies. I love the Sex Pistols. I, I mean, they only had
1: the one album technically, but I, I love that fucking I, album. I like that album. I like it. I don't love it actually. I like it. I know it's important. There are some songs on it I really like. A lot, a lot of, I like a lot of the deep tracks on it. I think I think there were cooler songs that Dave could Submission have done. Submission would have been a good one. Submission, yeah. A, off, that's actually my favorite track on the album. Mine too, hell yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> and I think, yeah, just a, a more off beat deep track would have been a cooler song to pick
2: from the sex Yeah, I think th- this one's just too obvious of a, uh, this one's just too obvious.
1: It's very obvious and I know Steve Jones himself does play on it, which, you know, I guess is cool.
2: But, yes, uh, Dave Mustaine uh, for a blowjob too, notoriously. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's <a> real <laughs> It was like he was off
2: like $100 and he's like, oh, I need some suction. And Dave was like, uh, fuck no," you know, because Dave Dave ain't letting a penis near his mouth. You know, My
1: let's mind. be honest here. And he's barking up the wrong tree there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe deep down, Dave really wants. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows?
2: Sometimes oh. the sometimes the most, you know, because like I said, you know, like we were saying, you know, Dave seems kind of a yeah. little bit homophobic and man I, yeah. I don't care if you're gay or what and my favorite Helly Mouse singer in the world Mo. One of my biggest heroes is gay Rob Alford exactly you know, I don't give a fuck man what you do you know if you're not harming me hey I'll more power to you man but uh, hey. sometimes the most uh, homophobic people tend to be the ones with the most like you know like kind of
1: certain fantasies you know yeah, it's like that—the guy with the Nazi China in American Beauty. Like, yeah, 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 Dave has a little of that touch. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. If behind closed doors, that maybe the reason James Hetfield wanted him out of Metallica was because you know Dave tried to suck his dick. Who knows? <laughs> Just wouldn't surprise you. Oh, man!
2: Oh, <laughs> was funny too. Because you know, at this time, uh, Steve Jones—he was doing like hair metal stuff. You ever seen like Steve Jones around this era? Cause he got no, like I, almost like a cock
1: rock on me, like the long hair and whatnot. I can see that. Well, Steve Jones, by the way, is my favorite. and I like. I'm a big fan of you know Johnny Rotten. I think he's a cool dude. Oh, Johnny Rotten's a
2: badass.
1: But uh musically, I probably like Steve Jones the best because I'm a fan of the Professionals. I actually like their... If have you ever listened to the early '80s, the Professionals, the band. Did? good stuff. I'll have good to stuff. To now, yeah, I want to
2: see. Uh, I guess I forget what it is, but there's a. One of those streaming services, uh, I think it's Hulu, they got a series coming out about the Sex Pistols, which I'm really looking forward to.
1: Yeah, Sex. Uh, the professionals are like, it's Steve Jones' band. It's essentially the Sex Pistols without Johnny Rotten. Yeah. And, and the direction that they won, they kind of pushed it into kind of a power pop meets punk direction. Oh, nice. So they get into hooks, because, you know, Steve Jones liked that stuff. He was kind of a guy that liked just catchy rock songs, you know? Yeah. And so it was kind of like the opposite, whereas... uh you know, uh, Johnny went into you know more of a post-punk experimental direction with Pill, and you know Steve Jones went in a more kind of just catchy rock and roll kind of direction. And so if yeah, I th- I think you dig uh, the Professionals and uh, their first album's pretty good. I, I like it actually. I kind of like it better than the Sex Pistols album actually. Ooh, Which, okay. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Listen. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, so yeah, and Anarchy in the UK has just never been one of my favorite Sex Pistols songs to begin with. And, and she's just, a burnout factor. That's the only a, song you ever really hear by the Sex Pistols. Yeah, it's just an obvious song. It's, got, it's a real boring cover for him to do. I think, like, they do it justice. Like, it's obviously better than that fucking Motley Crue version. Oh, God. And like I said, I musically, you know, I like the soloing. It sounds all right. It's fine. I would have preferred a different cover. Yeah. Or so just another original song, because obviously Dave was writing a lot of great original songs in this period. But
2: yeah. And we actually forgot to mention, too, I mean, Set the World on Fire was actually the first song he ever wrote, so obviously he was, he yeah. had, like, songs, like, saved, you know, because that, that was the first song he wrote, and it was actually originally called Megadeth, and that was the song he wrote notoriously on the, the ride home from getting canned by uh, Metallica, so this was, uh, he yeah. had songs, man, he had songs saved. He wrote
1: on a cupcake wrapper.
2: <laughs> <Cupcake laughs> was that a
1: hostess? I don't, I don't know what god. Maybe if it was a bus, if it was on the bus, it was probably like a hostess or something. <laughs> yeah, it was a cup case, man. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even if they did a cover, like I said, I would have preferred it was just like a different, a more you know, unexpected cover. Yeah, something different, you know. Or even just a feature. Like it would have been cool if he did submission. Would have been actually. A, a
2: oh good yeah, cover. if he did like a deep cut by the Sex Pistols, not like a a, a a usual song.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And put it towards the end of the album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to me, the perfect set... Uh, I mean, to me, Set the World of Fire should have gone right into Mary Jane, which would have oh, been... Oh, that would have been perfect. Would have been great. And then end the first side with 502, you know? End it. And then imagine if the second side opens within my darkest hour. Keep in mind, this is the original version where it just punches in immediately. Yeah. Kind of like... um. Like how Evil Walks begins the second side of, you know, For Those About to Rock recently. Yeah, oh, that's my favorite song off For Those About yeah. to Rock. Yeah, like, to me, that, just imagine this album doing that. Like, 502 wraps up the first side, and then In My Darkest Hour fucking kicks off side two, and then whatever. Even if it was Anarchy in the UK, like, like I would have preferred it if it was, like, between maybe Liar and the Hook and Mouth, you know? And yeah. towards the end. And definitely shouldn't have been a fucking single. To oh God, no! This album. So, so, th- 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 so that's my issue with this. And it's like the only thing kind of holding it back. Like, uh, like this. I don't know. I, this might be my favorite Megadeth album if it wasn't for this one song, but. I almost feel like the other three albums in the first four like deserve to be ahead of it just because they don't have any flaws, in my opinion. Yep. Whereas this has that, and it's not the production. I like the wonky, weird, dark production. Um, it's really just Anarchy in the UK just sitting there and sitting there so prominently as a third track. Yeah. It's like a big hangnail to me on an otherwise perfect album. So that's, that's my feeling. So it sounds like you kind of agree with me on this.
2: Yeah, I, I don't... You know, a lot of people hate it. I, I don't hate it. You know, like I said, this is my favorite Megadeth album. I mean, granted, a lot of that's sentimental, because like, my first, you know, Megadeth album. But I, I don't think it's that bad. I think definitely Megadeth is more capable of covering this song as opposed to, like, a Motley Crue or someone. Because, you know, like, thrash metal was basically a combination of the new wave of British heavy metal and punk music you know that's really what it was was a morphing of those styles and especially too Dave Mustaine I mean you know that guy's full of piss and vigor the giant chip on shore he's an angry man so I could hear him singing a song like Anarchy in the UK and pulling it off you know so and it's not that bad you know You got Steve Jones to do it and uh, whether or not he actually sucked Steve Jones dick who knows uh, that'd be a pretty awesome story man if he did suck his dick I think he should've but yeah guy's a fucking punk legend Come oh on. yeah I, I, I suck Lab Halford's dick, you know, and I'm not even gay, but, you know, he wrote so many classic songs. <laughs> uh, but, man, I don't think it's that bad. I definitely think it's way too early in the album and it sticks out like a sore thumb. It definitely should not have been a, a single for it. I think that's really what kind of hurt this album, you know, was just the fact that this is the lead off single. And it's just, you know, it's not the greatest cover they did. I think These Boots and Ain't Superstitious are way better. But I think it's not bad. I definitely would still include on the album, but I, I agree with you. I would maybe put it a little bit lower in the album, maybe like last or second to last. But right. it's not bad, man. You know, I think it gets a lot more bad of a rep
1: than it, you know, deserves. All right. And, uh, I'll take the next one, Mary, Mary Jane. Jane. Yeah, I, which uh, I mean, it's gonna be a gush fest now from this point <laughs> on. And Mary Jane, which I think would have been a great third track, uh, especially after "Set the World of Fire." Cause yeah, got it. I know. Um, I was re- Apparently, they did release this as a single, but they—I don't recall any video for this. I never saw it. Yeah, it
2: was um, definitely one that they released as a single, but never made a video for. I do see uh, album artwork for, for a single for this.
1: Yeah, but they they should have done a video for it, cuz it's a catchy goddamn song. In fact, this is the one song and it's funny cuz there's not really quite a song like this on the next album *In Rust in Peace, but yeah. Maybe, I this is more like, horror. This isn't really like yeah. the, the usual Megadeth uh, theme where it's
2: either about like nuclear war or politics <laughs> or something like that. This is more this is more like creepy like Stephen King kind of shit like that maybe Metallica would have done or even Anthrax. Is Anthrax still a uh, inspiration from like Stephen King and like horror author,
1: yeah. horror authors. Well, I'm not just talking theme. I mean, like melodically, it yeah, it, it's kind of foreshadows. If anything, it's like it's heavier and rawer, but it sounds a little like it could have been like this. This foreshadows a little bit like Countdown to Extinction to me. Oh, because interesting. It, because it's very melodic. It's very the melody yeah. and strong and like I said, it's actually a little more melodic, I think, than anything on Rust and Peace. It, it kind of foreshadows. There's a little hint, like if you listen to the song, you kind of hear a hint of where Dave would kind of go with the band in the 90s, I feel. you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a little catchier, a little more melodic, um, but does have that creepy horror vibe, like you're saying, kind of it, that Alice Cooper influence, very big. Yeah. Uh, Dave Mustaine was obviously, you know, a big Alice Cooper fan. He, he You know, he asked Alice Cooper if he would be his, uh, his uh, godfather, you know that story? No,
2: I do not know that story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, apparently he, as an adult, you know, he's like an adult man asking another (laughs) adult, will you be my godfather? And of course, Alice Cooper's a nice guy. He goes, yeah, sure. But I'm sure Alice thought to himself, this is kind (laughs) of (laughs) weird. I fucking love Alice Cooper,
2: man. (laughs) I saw him in March, and he was amazing. Next time he comes around to my area, I'm going to see him again. I love
1: Alice Cooper. Dave worships him, and you could hear his influence, especially on a song like this. Oh, yeah. It's like a thrash version. Of an Alice Cooper song. And it's great. It's fucking awesome. You know, I love it. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's, is this uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first time uh, that David Alphison, uh co wrote a song with Dave.
2: Yes. Yes. I think he co wrote the, the lyrics. And there's yeah. two other songs on here where he co wrote the music. But yeah, yeah this, I believe this was the first time
1: he got a writing credit. Yeah. I mean, also in My Darkest Hour, too, he co wrote yep. the lyrics. Uh, so yeah, so I, and, and then there's like a, and musically on, yeah, the last two songs. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great stuff, you know, and that's good that Davis opens up, and obviously Alphison could, you know, be a good collaborator. This is a great song, and it's got mood, dark, it's this dark, rich atmosphere, and again, just very unique, and this is the thing, uh, to me, Megadeth always, with, this is, um, with, maybe the second anthrax album the first slayer album and the first metallica album the thrash band straddled the new wave of like british heavy metal and like punk influences in a way that it was a little bit of a mix of what we would call thrash with like traditional heavy metal yeah whereas megadeth kind of always did that they never really let go of that 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 that's the thing they always to me straddle the line between classic metal and thrash there would always be moments on any of their albums from the first album on and this is like i said mary jane to me is one of the songs uh this you know a couple others too where they kind of straddle that line it's like you could like traditional heavy metal and like thrash and like Mary Jane, to me, you yep. know, they always straddle that line, and that's one of the things. That's why I think they are the best of the of the big four. You know, they because I love both those kinds of music, and it's just like, why wouldn't you want more? You know, <laughs> that's the thing. You, you know, you listen to Rain and Blood, and it's great, but it's one thing. You listen to this, you get two things, so it's even better. That's how I see it. <laughs> you know, you know, yep. uh, you know, if more is more. You know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, more is more, man, not less is more. So i want to hear more shit. So Mary Jane is great. What do you think of it?
2: Oh, man, I fucking love this song. It's just so evil and creepy. I love that it's different than what Megadeth normally writes about. This is more, like, horror, like, kind of creepy, like, ghost and evil spirits kind of thing, which Megadeth mainly just stayed with the nuclear war and politics kind of aspect of the songwriting. So it's kind of cool hearing them go somewhere else. I love horror, you know, I'm a big horror movie fan, so hearing them do a song like this really is phenomenal. I love the opening where it's like, you know, he's like basically summoning uh, Mary Jane's spirit. Now, ironically, when I first got this album, I thought this was going to be a marijuana song, you know, Mary yeah. Jane. I, you know, I was young, but I knew at the time Mary Jane was slang for, for marijuana. I thought this was like a smoking song, you know, and then uh, I hear this creepy-ass shit about you know, spirits and all this, and I'm like, okay, wow, this is not what I was expecting. You know, at that time, too, I was really getting in, I was a rebellious, you know, kid, you know, especially, too, as I got older and I became a teenager while listening to this album. You know, I was, I remember getting in trouble for drawing, like, pot leaves in a notebook. I had, like, a notebook where I wrote, like, my lyrics, because I was in a band, you know, and I wrote lyrics, and on this book, I drew all these band logos, and on the inside of the book, I drew all these, like, marijuana leaves and whatnot, you know, and my stepdad, I think, I ended up finding that book, and he saw the marijuana leaves, and I got so much trouble for that, you know, and shout out to my stepdad, you know, me and him are cool, you know, shout out to my stepdad if he's listening to this episode, but yeah, I got <laughs> in big trouble for that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a badass song, uh, you know, like I said, as a kid, I thought it was going to be a weed song, it ends up being this real creepy-ass song it's based off, like, a, a legend about this young witch who was, like, buried alive uh, in a cemetery near Minnesota. You know, uh, it kind of reminds me of, like, uh, you know, those urban legends, like the legend, like the Blue Hole in New Jersey. I don't know if you've heard of that, the Blue
1: Hole. No, I haven't heard of that. And uh, I thought I heard actually every Jersey, Jersey. yeah.
2: Jersey. Oh, I love I love reading about New Jersey because they have oh, so yeah. much weird stuff that goes on there. And oh, to I get the chance, you're, like, the movie guy. Yeah. The Angry Video Game Nerd, who's one of my biggest inspirations, like, one of the guys, even before Rock and podcast, was one of the guys that inspired me to want to do a review show. He's a filmmaker, and he made a really good, like, short film about The Legend of the Blue Hole. I- I'll send it to you when I get the chance, but yeah, I love, like, me. kind of that urban urban legend kind of stuff. It's real fascinating to me. So this song's great. It takes a lot of twists and turns with the creepy opening. The mid-tempo like slow kind of beginning and then it kind of speeds up at the end you know when he's like you know forgive me father for I have sinned and that tempo change oh just fucking phenomenal and he sounds in this song man it's also he sounds like some guy that's being held captive like in a dungeon you know begging for mercy begging to be let go before you know the spirit of Mary Jane just comes to kill him real creepy real awesome horror movie based kind of song I love it man And then, uh, we go into another song that's almost just basically completely opposite of this one, 502. Yeah,
1: awesome song, too. Uh, and just the different colors and shades. I say even though this is very thrashy, it's kind of like you could hear the ACDC influence, I think, on this one. Um it kicks you know it's it's a fun song it's crazy and fun it is yeah it, it, it's, it's only 3 minutes and 28 seconds there's actually a lot of short songs on this album which is why yeah, yeah. it's a Florida album which I love which is also a little different than the, all the other thrash bands especially by this point by 1988 all thrash bands were all, long albums they were all very long and long songs and, met, you know, and Dave would still knock out short songs like this which yeah,
2: was all, I love that I love a short album that leaves you wanting more sometimes I like the Sometimes yeah. long albums just get too boring and drawn out, and there's like a little too much yes. filler on them. Whereas, I, I don't know, I like a good short, you know, 40 minutes or less album. I think it's just it's good. You cut all the fat out, and it's perfect. Yeah.
1: And just have a snappy rock and roll, but really thrashy rock and roll fast song like yeah. this. To me, this is. Uh, I loved it in the beginning when Ed, the cop goes, Pull over shithead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that part. I still laugh when I hear that. He says, This is the cops. That's even funnier. <laughs> Pull over shithead. This is the it's cops. cops. like no cop would ever say that but anyway (laughs) Uh, uh, it's awesome to me this is like uh, I can't drive 55 but for men but for men
2: yeah, yes yeah, for men. This one's gonna be used in a porno. Like I can't drive 55 55s. Gonna be used like a like a gay porn. Oh no, I feel bad saying that because even gay people are like, don't don't mix this up with Sammy Hagar. Come on,
1: this is like the all and it's totally irresponsible. It's about drinking and driving and speeding yeah. and it, it, it's horrible. He should not have written this song. Bad day, bad day. But God damn it, it's fun to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's fucking awesome. What do you think of 502? Oh, 502, I mean, this is...
2: It's funny because you just have, like, you know, a bunch of serious songs about nuclear war. And you have, like, the other one about, like, you know, it's it's real evil horror theme. And you got this goofy, cheesy-ass fucking song about drunk driving and whatnot. But it's still just... It's so awesome. I love this song. And just going to show that there's, like, you know, Dave, Dave has a sense of humor... He's funny because I can almost see this being like a Steel Panther song. I actually think they even did Steel Panther
1: actually did a song that was very similar to this, where they had like cop noises and whatnot. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing, and I, I I talk about this a bit in my uh, Megadeth video. Was one of the things I love about Megadeth, and again, this is what where I think they're more complicated and interesting than uh, most of the other thrash bands, is they have a a sense of humor. I'd say the yeah. only other, I mean, Anthrax does, and Overkill, Overkill does too. Overkill. Overkill. Yeah, Overkill does have a sense of humor, too, which I like. I like when they add this other element. and Ampest like, tries
2: a little too hard to be goofy, and they just comes they off try- as goofy and not a sense of humor.
1: Yeah, although I kind of liked them more when they did have that side. Yeah. And later on, where they just really never got that back again. Like, they always just try so hard to be serious. Which yeah. I kind of prefer them in the <laughs> 80s. when I felt they were a little more honest when they were a little goofier. But... But I agree, they didn't pull it off the way... This is the thing, too, about Magnet. It's so interesting because, like, on one hand, like I said, they're the craziest and darkest, but they were also the funniest in a way, too. Yeah, they could pull out a
2: song like this, and it wouldn't sound really out of place. You know it was a different style song. Like, lyrically, it was a little bit more goofier. But it just... It worked, though. They made it work because they they had confidence in it, and they just sold it. It was part of their personality. It didn't sound forced.
1: Yeah, it's all part of just... The madness. The madness is Dave Mustaine. You don't know what Dave you're getting. It's like that yeah you know, the, his famous video, the sweating bullets, you know. You <laughs> get all these crazy Daves. and which Dave are you getting? Are you getting the Dave that's kind of a clown or are you getting the one that's a fucking psychopath, you know? Yeah exactly. <laughs> which which Dave are you getting? And 502 Two is definitely kind of fun rock and roll, crazy drunken clown Dave. Yeah. And it's great and again, like you just don't have this kind of freedom. With the other thrash bands. The only one that exactly. kind of is. They kind is of pay
2: themselves in a box. Yeah. Or they got exactly. Metallica that just sell, they try and say they're like being creative
1: and they're geniuses, but they're really just selling out. And they don't, and listen, I don't, I, I don't like some people, I don't hate Fuel. Um, but oh. you know, it, I think it's like, it, especially in Reload, I think it's one of the better songs, although, um, oh, no, I don't hate it like some people. But, but, It's fucking dog should compare to this song. I mean, this is is the real deal. This is the real Fuel, (laughs) you know? I mean, I compare Fuel to, like, most pop. Like, if, if you're comparing it to, like, the radio in the mid 90s like I rather listen to I rather listen to Metallica to Fuel than like a Creed song <laughs> you know what oh, I mean yeah. I yeah, hate what? fucking Fuel man
2: I always hated that uh, song to me that's just jock rock bullshit that's jo- like I picture the jocks in school trying to be edgy and being like listen to Metallica thinking they're cool like yeah, pump and
1: iron, baby. Give me fool. give me five, yeah. Uh, it is, it is. But I like I said, Metallica and rock rock, I still prefer than a lot of other bands from that era. That I'll, I'll listen to Nickelback before I listen to fucking oh, Fuel. No, Jesus no, no, no. Christ. I, I'd rather listen to Nickelback. I actually
2: like some Nickelback songs. They're, I lost some street cred right there by saying that, but I'm not afraid to I
1: lost some street cred from saying I didn't hate Fuel. But I think we both agree, 502 is like this is what I'm saying. This is the real dangerous drive yeah. fast. Oh, song. this is the real thing. This is why, what Dave, why are you being a crybaby bitch? These are the guys that did fuel. You did 502, man. Yeah. Fucking hold it. Oh
0: and man, it. dude.
2: Let me tell you something. <laughs> when I listen to this song, there's nothing better than when you hear that. Uh, you hear like the part where the song just basically stops. You hear like oh, yeah. the sound of it's a guy getting in his rough, car man, driving, right? speeding up. The cop sirens, and he just starts speeding more and more and more until so you hear that crash, and then it just simultaneously bleeds into that just nasty riff, like that
1: just violent riff of like a machine gun, you know? It's just, oh, God. There's all these a lot of these songs, and I know, um, they, I would imagine Dave was a big Let There Be Rock fan. I know he was a big yeah, ACDC yeah. fan. Is that the songs have, they do that, you know, like, it's something ACDC kind of stopped doing uh, after Mutt Land got involved. Yeah, you would hear in the early records I think you know what I'm getting at is the, the rage outs at the end yeah
2: it would speed up a little bit or just get more aggressive at the end yeah and
1: Angus would do something that's like best soloing like, yeah, that yeah. Moment. and like, that's how know? I feel about
2: this song it's just yeah. like it, it yeah. starts off a little bit more like kind of mid-pace almost and then it just gets like just you know faster and more violent it's like a Going up, it's like uh, being on a roller coaster and going up, 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 and then all of a sudden you just drop
1: down. Pretty much every song does that on this album. Yeah. Right? yeah, like every song rages out like at the end. You're like ah, like it started off a certain way, and by the end you're just like smashing shit up and fucking shit yeah. up. Yeah, and, and, and it's, oh it's crazy. man, I mean, <laughs> dude, I,
2: and like and this is another one too that benefits from the the original mix. I oh, was yeah. listening to the original mix full volume in the car today, and. God damn, like right when that part hits, man, it's just like a, a shot of adrenaline. It's like doing a, a line of blow. It just fucking kicks you in the ass and sends you to another dimension. Just when that, like I said, that machine, you hit that car crash and the machine gun riff. It's just like, holy shit,
1: just gave me a rush, man. This is phenomenal. Alright, we'll get into the next song now. This is, uh, the gushing is going to another level. <laughs> did, did I tell you this? Even though I would, I would say this is my, I don't know. Maybe I'll change my opinion by the time we're done (laughs) talking. Again, I don't know. It's only really because of anarchy in the UK that I put the other three albums before this. But yeah, this is the thing. I don't know how. How would you rate an album where two of your favorite Megadeth songs of all time are on the album, and we're getting to one of them now, and we didn't get to the second one yet? So yes, (laughs) on this side are two of my favorite Megadeth songs. Nice. And you love every song, but there's one cover that you don't think is so hot that kind of, and it's it like, almost like drop. Yeah, so what do you think? I mean, could this be my favorite album or not? I don't I know. I think it could.
2: I think it's just, because even I used to think the same thing. I think it's just because Anarchy in the UK, it's the positioning. Yeah. I swear, if that song was like second to last or last on the album. I think you'd feel a lot differently, because I, I, I looked at it that way, and that's why I'm not afraid to say, you know what, I love this album. Yeah, very early on in the album, it kind of takes a dip with Anarchy in the UK, but that still doesn't change the fact that I love it. And maybe that's just me speaking from a sentimental, uh, sentimental point, because it was my first Megadeth album, so who knows, but I think, I think this could be your favorite Megadeth album. Mm-hmm. You just got to get over the fact that Anarchy in the UK is like the third song.
1: Yeah, I think that might be my big problem, just that this yeah. is the third song, that In My Darkest Hour is not kicking off the second side. Um, but yeah, In My Darkest Hour, my favorite Megadeth song. Hell yeah. And, I mean, if you want to limit this song by calling it a thrash song, I mean, like kind of like what we've been saying about all these songs, it yeah. starts off, it ends thrashy. You know, oh, by yeah. the time it gets to the end, it gets very you know thrashy, um, you know, it builds up. And, and I would say, and listen, I, this is not, I don't want to be like counterculture and be knocking Metallica like during their prime years in the 80s, or Ride the Lightning, which I yeah. think is a, a, a prop, a, objectively a superior album than this, yeah, in a sense. Um, like I said, there's, it kind of, it's all perfect. Like even uh, Escape, you know, which is by the weakest track, it's still, overall, it's it's perfect. Like, I like Escape better than Anarchy, yeah. An- Anarchy in the UK. <laughs> but um, but I guess what I'm getting at, it, it, it's when they... When Metallica gets heavier, like something like Fade and, Bl- you know, uh, and Black, you know, Fade to Black, when it gets heavier, it, it's heavier and it's great, but it is orchestrated. Like, when yeah. Megadeth gets heavier it's somehow it's still sounds, thrash. it sounds organic i guess is what i'm getting at like it yeah. doesn't sound like you're sitting there thinking about here's this part here's this part like it in my sound like an orchestra like wrote this like beethoven fucking yeah wrote oh this it game. doesn't feel like oh here's the ballad part here's where we kind of transition to the bout from ballad to like mid-tempo metal and this is where we get to the thrash part at the end and do the solos and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that and those songs are great But when you listen to like a song like in my darkest hour, it's just like it's so organic. The way that this song evolves throughout—it's you know like six minute, you know, sixteen second running time. It's just like it's just like it's it's the difference between going into like a haunted house where you feel that things are being controlled and you're just being like thrown into a basement some weird, freaky, dark shit, and you don't know what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. yeah. It's just less controlled and feel, but yet somehow it is controlled. It's amazing. It's a masterpiece, and I think it transcends thrash. It's just a great one of the greatest metal songs ever written. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. It's, it's a song that only gets better and better over the years I, This song has no burnout factor I know it's like the most popular song on the album But to me, it deserves to be It's, it's a masterpiece it's, And of course, you know, he famously wrote this after hearing about Cliff Burton's death and I'll have something to say about that once I, my th- turn <laughs> yeah, But lyrically, it doesn't really seem to be about that I think that's more like it set the mood Like It, set yeah. the, it put him in a dark place But it's about his own darkness you know, it's not uh, that's my interpretation, you know and if anything, it's about his bitterness towards Metallica in his darkest moment, you know and it's it's a really, I'd be interested to hear, you know, your interpretations but it's a very intense, dark song and the way it moves and moves and, the, and like, um, if we're going to talk about the remix, I mean yeah, the remix of this, I get... When I was younger, it did annoy me when, in the original mix, that he, at certain parts of the song, his vocals are, like, going through this, like, tin can-sounding thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Like, it felt like, no, this song's too good for, like, a weird effect like that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, it's, like, messing with it. I gotta tell you, though, tonight, when I was listening to it again, I think, kind of like you, I was really kind of charmed by... The wonky mix. And, and Yeah, it never really it bothered me. I never really noticed it too much. I mean I, I I noticed it I mean
2: I noticed it today when I was listening to it, but I don't know, it never really bothered me. It kinda of makes it
1: darker. Like that's just something like he's singing out of a like a tin can from hell. And it's something <laughs> weirder and darker about it. it adds a griminess to it. And even though this is I would say uh yeah, probably even more so than Mary Jane. This is the most melodic song on the album. Yeah. And, and and if the video didn't get banned from MTV, you know, I, I mean, I feel like they should have just knocked out another. I mean, it, well, of course, it wasn't banned for the video. The video itself was just the clip from um The the Decline of Civilization. It's because MTV deemed that the song promoted suicide. So, oh, God. You yeah, know, like, like, yeah, this is. Full shit. Like all yeah. the fucking depressing fucking grunge songs that they would yeah, show Nirvana was on or MTV Darlings. They, yeah, they, how many times did they show that clip of him singing "All Apologies" at the unplugged you know show after he committed suicide? Yeah, all, exactly. It's pretty much Bullshit. a Side note, put to music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what could glamorize suicide more than fucking Kirk Cobain singing all apologies on MTV on <laughs> <laughs> You know? Listen to, to those fucking lyrics. Yeah. And yet Oh no no in my darkest hour we can't show this. So fucking bullshit. But yeah. MTV. obviously this was this is a song that could have made this album a bigger, you know I album. I think so. I it, think so. It, if this video was shown. And this was a period where the videos did matter and would have made a song a bigger thing. But the thing is, they still had a couple other songs that I think still could have pushed this, like Mary Jane and uh, Set the World Afire, and maybe even another song we didn't get to yet that I think, at least on Headbangers' Wall, could have got some traction. But In My Darkest Hour could have been, I think... um, I I mean, it could have maybe not as much as one, but it might have crossed over more than any Metallica song before one you know, and yeah. I think the potential was there, but it's a masterpiece, it's one of the greatest songs ever written, I never get old, I mean, every time I, I hear the song, I just, it just, uh, from the first, it's one of those songs, like I said, uh, about Evil Walks, which is one of my favorite ACDC songs, favorite actually. song up,
2: uh, for those about to rock,
1: it has that vibe, you know, when a song, or even like the beginning of Hell's Bells, like once the guitar hits after the, the bell tolls, where it, instantly from the first note it just instantly is the song and it enraptures you and that's another thing i don't like about the remix is i don't like that little acoustic bit in the beginning that they have on the remix because not that it's bad in and of itself but to me it i know he they probably thought ooh, it's it's doing that thing that metallica does where they do a little acoustic song yeah. and it adds another texture but you know i don't i think his original attention was better like this original idea of just no just go right into it because there's a dark majesty to a magic a dark magic to the song just coming on it's like a a dark wizard that just suddenly appears and you're just in the song it's like instantly in my darkest hour you know and there's, there's a power to that and that power is lost in that with having that little acoustic guitar noodling <laughs> for half a measure. You know, it's just, no, just fucking go into the song. And like I said, I think it should have opened the second side. It just, it has that power. It's just like the, the dark magician has been conjured and he's fucking there and the song is there with all its power instantly. Instantly you're into the song and it's magic from first note to last. I love this song. So, how much do you love this song?
2: <laughs> oh, dude, I fucking love this song. You know, I, I gotta agree with you, man. It's my favorite song off the fucking album. It's great. It's a, It's a. There's a reason it's the biggest hit off the album. Uh, unlike you, though, I, I'm not really bothered by the acoustic intro. I do prefer the original mix, but the acoustic intro never really bothered me. I remember hearing it and being like, oh, this is kind of different, but I don't mind it as much. And this song, you know, obviously it was the hit. You know, I think definitely it became more of a hit over time. Oh, yeah. it was initially it's initially, like, a big hit, but, it's a you know, quote, over time unquote, it came.
1: Yeah. It's a quote-unquote hit. <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah really much,
2: hit. much like we were talking about the Doors episode. It's like it's like a 20th Century Fox where yeah. nowadays it's, like, seen as this big hit. But it really didn't start that way. Yeah. And I – I this song was – I'm sorry. This song was not about Cliff Burton. This was, this was about him breaking up with some chick. And, like, you know, obviously Cliff Burton ended up dying. And, you know, maybe it just – as a revisionist thing where he's like, oh, yeah, like, I wrote this about Cliff. You know, but I I really doubt that, you know, maybe he tried writing something about Cliff, and maybe he just combined a song he was writing at the time with his feelings towards Cliff Burton's death, and it just, you know, I don't know, but this song's definitely, you know, not entirely about Cliff Burton, because even the part where he's like, he says, ha ha, bitch, you know, it's a breakup song.
1: Yeah, I think up. that. And, and I, like I said, I think with the girl, he, like I said, he might be channeling some of his feelings about Metallica, themselves yeah. in it. And yeah, I don't think it's about Cliff either. But I, I think it's just that Cliff, it just set the tone. You know? Yeah.
2: And you know what? And the funny thing is, this song, in my opinion, is probably the most Metallica-sounding song of all Megadeth. Uh, for the first three albums Because it reminds me of like, like a For Whom the Bell Tolls This one sounds like It definitely could have been A Metallica song Whereas Most other Megadeth Was always a little bit faster And nastier than Megadeth I mean yeah. uh, Than Metallica This one sounds like It could have been A Metallica
1: song Oh definitely And if oh. obviously Some version of this song may, I mean I don't know if Metallica would have lasted if he would stayed in it by by 1988. At some point they were gonna break <laughs> up, but maybe this would have got in there. But yeah, it's more because it's more melodic. Yeah. I, oh yeah.
2: It, like yes. I said, it reminds me of like for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember this one in the in the decline movie. I remember yeah. the decline. The Western Civilization was a movie. You know, and this is before this is before like internet. You couldn't just, like, go online and, like, you know, go on iTunes and buy this movie on on iTunes or watch it on YouTube. I remember hearing about this movie so much and hearing about all the different scenes, like the Chris Holmes pool scene and all these different things. And this was a movie I could not find. And my mom at the time was very against eBay because eBay was still a new thing. She was scared of getting ripped off. So she would refuse to buy it for me on VHS. And this was a movie I just wanted to see so badly. And I think it was fifth grade. It was like right before summer vacation. And I remember staying up real, real late to watch The decline of Western Civilization. Because VH1 was having like this, uh, the month of metal or something. They had all these like metal specials. They were showing heavy metal music videos and movies. And this is one of the movies they were showing. And they had like two new behind the music for like metal bands. I so think it was Pantera and Rat. But I remember staying up like till 12 o'clock, which was a big deal like when you're in elementary school staying up to like, 12 o'clock to try and watch this movie. I got, like, halfway through it, my mom, I think it was my mom or my stepdad came in and was like, you need to fucking go to bed, and they turned it off, and I did not get to see it. And okay. it wasn't until, like, uh, a couple of weeks later, they showed it again, VH1, I finally, finally got to see it. And I loved Decline, and definitely Megadeth stole the show. And although I love Lizzie Borden... Uh, Lizzie Borden got kind of shunned. They got, they had, like, a bunch of more segments filmed for them, but they kind of got their segment cut short. So you didn't get to see a whole lot of Lizzie Borden, but, man, Megadeth really stole the show. And oh, yeah, and
0: the, the well, the
1: whole way they, th- this is obviously, yeah, this is, I was, I wanted to talk about this, so I guess it's... Oh, yeah, to, I, love I love the climb Yeah, it, I love it, too. And when you look at it, like, the, the way, you know, documentary filmmakers, when they shoot this stuff, um... Sometimes they even do have a script, like not like a traditional screenplay, but they have like a treatment or an idea how they're gonna frame a story. Like they might have a general idea of how they're framing this, and there is like a narrative to it. And the narrative to this documentary, it leads to Megadeth at the end, yeah. like all this hair metal stuff is. Like, yeah, because there are a lot a of fact. fake
2: it's, people in it. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of fake people with the fake glamour yeah. You can yeah. tell these are guys that don't care about metal. They're just yeah. guys that are jumping on the bandwagon to get famous. And it's not a diss against Lizzie Bourne, because I love Lizzie Bourne, but Lizzie Bourne didn't get much screen time, so you really can't, like, say anything well, not, but about Well, maybe that's But he didn't get
1: a lot of screen time, because maybe he didn't quite fit in with what they... The yeah. But what they Lizzie wanted Bourne's to Lizzie Bourne's fucking real as fuck, whereas, yeah. like, you know,
2: bands like London, they're a joke because they're the band where someone would leave and they become famous. They had Odin, which... Yeah. I, I love Odin for comedic reasons, but they were not... A good fucking band
1: yeah you know, and keep in mind and yeah and this and this is kissed during like their uh, asylum crazy nights period yeah o- o- ozzy during his you know um you know the ultimate sin period where they're more glam so oh yeah i think and paul Stanley in bed
2: with like a thousand women yeah. which he was probably uncomfortable with one of them which did not look like she was breathing
1: yeah so so yeah i <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, and none of them, obviously, he's touching in real life. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I feel like you know, overall, it a—it's uh, it, not too heavy-handed with it, so you can still have fun with it. But I do see it as uh, the the filmmakers are critical of the scene, and essentially, Megadeth comes in at the end as like this is the real shit. Like,
2: yeah, like, these like, are guys are the that posters, really are in for the music,
1: and this is like the future. Like the idea—it's like uh, that this is a fad. We're we're showing you a, a musical fad but Megadeth's The Future and it's interesting because a couple of years they did stand ago, the test of time They did. They all did. the bands didn't they definitely stood the test of time they were definitely more legit and they were more The Future uh, than a lot of the glam rock glam metal and hair metal bands but it's interesting too because this is one thing people got kind of, you know like this album actually was critically acclaimed like critics did like it actually I was reading this. Yeah. And, and this is the thing too it's like Thrash was respected in a way that hair metal wasn't, you know. Yeah, and, and, and especially at this point, like in Except, the late, real late yeah. '80s. And it's like it's before grunge had really emerged yet, and th- there was some underground stuff. Soundgarden and the Melvins were doing stuff, and um, yeah. But it was still before uh, Alice in Chains' first albums, before Nirvana's first album. So that still hadn't quite emerged yet. As eventually, that became like the what the mainstream chose the mainstream chose grunge to be the alternative to hair metal but there was a time and i remember this because this is when i was in junior high and getting into this shit where thrash was like the preferred legit alternative to hair metal
2: yeah and, and then
1: even guns N' roses too came out this time
2: and they're like an alternative because they are more stripped were, down bluesy rock like rolling stones and aerosmith and they didn't wear the the yeah, fruity like makeup and the clothes and all they just wore bandanas and leather and jeans. They they stradd, but they, they
1: I will agree with that to a degree, but they and they yeah. were definitely a step in that direction, but they straddled the line a bit.
2: They did Where, yeah.
1: Whereas Megadeth and Metallica were definitely not part of that group at all. Yeah. And, and
2: even in the, the movie, you know, you hear them talking about, you know, like, man, we're just about, you know, a stack of marshals. And a t-shirt and just play the music, man. Whereas everyone else is like all like wearing the like assless chaps and the the scarves oh. and the makeup and uh, you know Megadeth just went out there in jeans and leather and just played fucking metal and they just you know and, that's all they cared
1: about. And Dave said uh, that glam stood for Gay Los Angeles Music. Yep.
2: <laughs> I remember too. I think there's a they had like a home video where they showed the guy with like the fucking skunk hair and oh god that guy was creepy. I remember watching the movie and seeing the guy with the skunk hair, and he kind of creeped me out. Like the, I felt like he was staring. He, he seems like a guy that should not be allowed within like twenty feet <laughs> of school. Um, he, like he said something about like, oh, nice, nice haircut, bag, you know, which I, I don't, I don't support like making fun of gay people because gay people are awesome.
1: But but that word was thrown around a lot, dude. that word must run around a lot in the eighties. Yeah, I can't, it does make me laugh when I hear it in that context. Yeah, like, I don't, in real life it was like out someplace and some guy said it to like a gay dude. I wouldn't laugh. I wouldn't like it. But yeah. in a movie, you know, it's like a lot of shit. It's you watch it in a movie, especially in a certain time period, like in the eighties, where they say it a lot. Fast Times at High. It does yeah. all, it, it makes you laugh. Times, man. It's I, a different time period. And it's not, that's and they, they, like, it wasn't meant that way, too. In most,
2: it things. was really just like meant as like saying, like a way of like saying, like uh, you know, you're lame or you're
1: stupid. Yeah, or it something. it, was, it yeah. wasn't meant like that's the thing. It's all context. You know? If
2: anything, it's like uh, a a person who you'd call that is mainly a person that's like really homophobic, so it would bother them.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like to me, it's like uh, it's funny if it's said to someone that's not actually gay. Yeah <laughs> Like that's when it's It would be funny If
2: a gay person Like if, if a gay person Like got into a fight With another gay person And they're like You freaking hetero You know That <laughs> like, that
1: would be funny Well they they call you A breeder That, that would be <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so yeah, It was funny too I actually yeah. had a friend Who was He, he was gay And he, he was really cool But like He actually would Call people like He would call people Fagging And I'd just kind of Look at him And I'd be like Dude you're 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 gay and he's like I don't care it's like it's not really like he's like I don't care it's like it he's like it's a good insult you know I don't know he, he was
1: a cool guy yeah but so, like, yeah is, these are all it, words it's, so it's all different. about context yeah uh, the, the thing to bring it back to uh, the decline of Western civilization yeah I guess what I'm getting at is like if it was two years later they would have showed like a grunge band and some guy in a sea it would have been like one of the Seattle bands would have oh, been yeah, the band it would be like Soundgarden. Yeah, they would have showed at the end to show the legit side. But that just shows you though that you know, and I always say this: like everyone gives like Nirvana the credit, and you know, not, and the, like both of us, um, you know, we're not anti-Nirvana. And I felt they. Oh good, yeah. Good, good, I good.
2: used to be when I was yeah. young and stupid, but then I grew up to realize, man, Nirvana's pretty good. And a lot of this, not all this grunge stuff's bad. A lot of it's pretty oh. damn good. It's just you know. Yeah, it
1: it was already on its way out, and that's even this documentary showed it was on its way out. Yeah, I just don't think the problem I have is I don't think, like, even as much as you know, I sometimes diss on Metallica and I'm crazy about all the stuff they've done, you know, I give Metallica a lot of credit because the thing is, and even though it's not one of my favorite Metallica albums, I give the Black album credit because the kind of crossed over. Well, I would say the thing that everyone acts like Nevermind did, really the Black Album did. Black Album was really the album, because that was a year before Devon. And that was really the thing that made music shift to something heavier and different. And, you know, yeah, I mean, to us, I was already listening. Like, I got into Metallica with Justice For All, so to me it was less heavy. But to your average MTV viewer, that, that was some was, heavy shit. That was the heaviest shit, but yet really catchy. And that's like, you know, they were the ones that said, and it was not glam, you know. They had straight hair, and they were kind of grungy and mean looking. Yeah, and they just wore black jeans and black just, t-shirts. Just black jeans and t-shirts, and things were stripped down, but yet the songs were really catchy and melodic, you know, yeah, and heavy. And... In, in all the thrash bands that followed afterwards, they were trying to do what the Black Album did. Like, yeah. And then, like, so really Metallica opened the door for Nevermind to be what it was, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, say what you will about Metallica,
2: and I, I don't like, like, Reload. and The Black Album's, like, it, it's okay, but it's not really the greatest. But, I mean, they survived. They survived, yeah. like, the 90s, and they are, like, the biggest metal band ever. Because I mean, you can say what you want about them. I mean, they're they're laughing their way to the bank. Yeah, and Guns N' Roses was the same way. They were able to to survive the '90s and Bon Jovi. As much as I don't like Bon Jovi, they survived the '90s too. You know, well, those gr- are like gr- the gr- bands that survived the Guns '90s. And Ro-
1: Guns N' Ro- Roses didn't survive the '90s. So they, well, I mean, they they. I mean, yeah, but they're still pretty
2: big. They're, even like when they were broken up
1: and you know done, they're that's, still big. That, that's why they survived the '90s because they stopped. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so I that, mean, they were touring like in the in the '90s before yeah, they broke up. They were touring the '90s when like Nirvana was still pretty big, and they're
1: they were big oh, themselves, but by the mid '90s, they were done. That's oh the, yeah. Whereas they, they had ha- staying power. Yeah, but Metallica. Yeah, they, and I I think they partially had the staying power because people only remember their, like, first, you know, three, four albums, you know. It, 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 Spaghetti Incident definitely was pointing in a direction. Oh. If they kept putting out albums, they, their legacy might not have been what yeah. it is now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Metallica, I'll give credit. They somehow maintained their legacy, even with putting subpar albums out. Yeah. And I love their new album. I, I
2: love uh, Hardwire. That was really fucking good, and it really made me a believer again in Metallica.
1: I, lo- I love the uh, half of it <laughs> I yeah I will good. admit it was a
2: little too long I definitely yeah. would cut some songs from but you know compared to like everything else they had released that had let me down so badly it was pretty good you know
1: it's, yeah, I, I, it's, I think Metallica this, I like I, that album's decent I like half of it I like a couple songs on Death Magnetic I, you know, um, I hate Andrew. that album. I remember I my did. friend Marty. There's was... some good songs on it. There's, if you listen to it again, if you haven't listened to it in a while. I mean, it's got shit mastering, but uh, they remastered it, actually. So it's not quite as brick walled. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a remastered version that's available on iTunes. They did kind of a, a soft uh, remaster where they didn't tell people about it. But there's a remaster, which it does sound better. And it's all right. It's a little try in spots, but it's better than anything they had done after the the Black album at that point, but, you know, I mean, the main thing, Metallica just doesn't do a lot of stuff. They haven't put out a lot of albums. And, you know, yeah.
2: the, actually, the I think that kind of benefits them, too, because they really wait. They yeah,
1: and wait. They, and they put out that shit with the orchestra. That's actually yeah. part of the shit I hate most. I hate the fucking stuff with the orchestra.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love Siberian Orchestra, but then I hate, like, everything else when a metal
1: band tries to combine with... Oh, I don't. To just Especially make- not Metallica. It just doesn't work with them, I think. I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. And, but... I don't what I'm getting at about Metallica is even if I think they have a really spotty career post the Black Album, and even the Black Album's not, I guess it's their fifth best album I think, but uh, it's like not a strong fifth. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just their first four albums, but I objectively can step back and recognize the importance of the Black Album yeah. and, and see that it really deserves 'Cause I know even though it's a very big selling album, actually I think it's it, it actually it's a bigger selling album, never mind. People won't talk about it, but it actually is oh, a big yeah. selling album. Especially over it, it, time too. I think it's over in the time. Top 10. It's in the top I think it's in the US it's in the top ten be- biggest selling albums of all time. It's one of those albums like Back in Black or Led Zeppelin Four. It's one of those big albums that time after time people buy and buy. So I what I'm saying is I recognize the black album for its cultural importance. And I feel like it, even, as big as it is, it doesn't get enough credit for being what people kind of act like. Nevermind is. I feel the Black Album really is. But that that being said, Megadeth fucking blows both those bands away. So fucking yeah. for
2: <laughs> real. And man, I, one the last thing hour. before we go into the next song, though, man. In my darkest hour, I think. This is my favorite vocal performance from Dave on this album. Just holy. Again, I love Dave's voice. I think Dave has such a unique sounding voice and way better than James Hetfield's. I think he's probably my favorite vocalist of the, the big four. He's just, it's so unique and weird sounding, but it works. Yeah, I love his it. voice
1: of the Big Four if we don't branch out to uh, Bobby Blitz.
2: Oh, Bobby Blitz. Yeah, Bobby Blitz would own every single yes. one of the Four <laughs> vocalists.
1: But if we're saying in the Big Four <laughs> uh, box. And yeah, Dave's my favorite. I mean, I can... Um, yeah and I like James' voice. I, and even when he... See, yeah, I, I, I like James' voice
2: on the first three albums and then after that he got some more... He started going into more of that crooning style which yeah. I just... Ugh, I can't stand. Even on the new album that I love, Hardwired... I just can't stand his voice anymore. It's just so annoying to me.
1: I definitely prefer Dave, and yeah, he's
2: he just got more bite and there's yeah. It, it's, and, I like the snottiness of his vocal. He had that snottiness, like that, like he sounds like a, just a pissy little
1: asshole, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But I there's still, that. but there's still a melody to it. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. And, and he can, he can pull it off. And this is a great example, of it where he's both snotty, but melodic at the same time. Yeah. And, and, exactly. and likely. And like I said, as good as you know, Nirvana sometimes got, uh, and as good as Metallica could be, to me, neither of those bands ever created a song as great as "In My Darkest Hour." Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the greatest fucking songs ever written Agreed.
2: to me. Amazing. Next song, Liar, which, you know, again, it, it, like Mary Jane, it kind of goes from something serious, kind of dark to, not really like comedic, but almost like a, a, like a diss track, basically. One of the original diss tracks.
1: Yeah. And, Liar. Uh, yeah, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, nice. is it a diss track about Chris Pullen? Yep, you're correct. Yeah. And, uh, but it's heavy. I'd say this is the heaviest song after... Uh, that set, yeah, set the world yeah, on fire. Yeah, after set the world fire. I agree. It, I agree. It, it brings and it's you know I would call this a, a an album track, but killer or mm-hmm. and fucking badass and perfect. Like it, with the exception of that one fucking cover, every song <laughs> kind of bleeds into the next song perfectly. And like it's like yeah. after my darkest hour, you want because even though that did get thrashy halfway through. It's still, like, that's a more melodic kind of, you know, different kind of song. Whereas after that, you want just a full-out thrasherama, you know? <laughs> and, and even though it's just three minutes and 20 seconds, it's short, but it's thrashy, it's fast, it's mean, it's bad fucking ass. Liars, just, I mean, the sound of the guitars, like you always say, the, the, the that machine gun sound that yeah. comes up, up oh, yeah. throughout this album here and there whenever it gets heavy. And and just the, the the sound of the vocals and everything. It's just—it's badass. It's angry. It's mean. It just kicks ass. I fucking love Liar. It's a, another great song on this amazing album. What do you think of it?
2: Oh, man. I fucking love Liar. This song fucking rules. Uh, it was written about Chris Pullen. Because uh, Dave Mustaine, even though he had his own problems, he had a lot of issues with Chris Pullen. And I don't really blame him, man. You know, I sadly have had friends who have had addictions you know to heroin and i mean like they do change you know like chris poland was you know he was trading equipment away uh for for drugs you know while they're on tour and it was just really affecting you know it was really affecting them as a band and he had to kind of let chris poland go and he wrote this diss track and uh, him and paul mccartney man were like some of the originators of the diss track. They were doing it before it was cool. You know, rap rap music, they didn't create the diss track. You know, hard rock, you know, and metal bands are creating it. But man, I, I love this song. I love, like, Dave's, like, kind of rapid-fire vocals he does are amazing. It's almost kind of catchy, the way he, like, rapid-fire, like, sings those lyrics. It's real catchy. It's real jumpy. Yeah, there's a lot that. of that
1: on this album. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Especially all- on this one. I agree with you, this is definitely, like, uh, an album track, but it's still good, it's killer filler, man, and, uh, you know, and it's funny, too, because I guess shortly after this song was released, him and Poland actually, like, they made up, like, they, they were cool again, and I think Poland even recorded some demos for Rust in Peace, but I think they had, like, a falling out or something, and it just wasn't gonna work, and obviously Marty Friedman came in, but, you know, it, it's a great fucking song, man. You know, it's Dave Mustaine being like pissy and snotty, which I feel that's when his, his best music comes out. Is when he's has a chip on his shoulder, when he's mad, when he's angry. And yeah. this is another one that kind of has made some goofier lyrics, much like "502." I love the lyric of like your girlfriend's got herpes. That one makes me laugh. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, I liked what you brought up the the rapid fire kind of. Yeah, because he does that. About, it is like a hook. That's the thing. It's heck. It's heavy, but it's catchy. Kind of like a exactly makes me think of like uh, Judas Priest, like Free Will Burning.
2: Oh yeah, Bob does, does this really raspy,
1: slucky thing. It's, <laughs> like, it's so It's so fast and heavy, but yet it's like it's like it's catchy. It's like bubblegum heavy. It's like so yeah. fast and catchy that you just get into it. It's like it becomes a hook. And that's the thing that Dave Mustaine can he can make his voice a hook, not just the guitars. Yeah. And, yeah, I love it. Great track. So who wants to do uh, Hook and Mouth first?
2: Man, I guess I'll take Hook and Mouth, um, the last track on the album. Again, a
1: very short fucking album.
2: But that's what I love about it. I love the short albums that, you know, they trim the fat and it's just all the good shit. Hook and Mouth, man, what a fucking amazing song. Great way to end the album. And, man, what, what a... The lyrically, like, what a great way to... Dave must have predicted the future, man, because, man, this is lyrically, man, it's a song about, you know, censorship, trying to erase history and whatnot, and sadly, man, it's, it's kind of scary, because we're living in a world like that, man, where just everything's getting censored and canceled, and I, I just, you know, again, I, I hate getting into politics, and I don't want to, but I mean, this really isn't so much political, it's just, man, we live in a world where, man, just everyone wants to cancel everything, and it's just, it's kind of sad, and I actually had a conversation with my boss and my, uh, my supervisor, Uh, the other day about, like, man, you know what's scary is, like, streaming. You know what's sad is, like, you know, uh, a movie, you know, you got these movies that come out and they're, like, exclusive to, like, Hulu or Netflix and you don't get physical copies and then everyone's streaming music, like, it's scary to think that, like, you could listen to a movie, you could watch a movie or listen to an album and you're streaming it and you don't buy physical copies, like, these young kids don't do that anymore and one day, uh, a musician or an artist or an actor can make a decision that, you know, is not a good decision. They do something stupid uh, and they, they get canceled for it. And so everything they've done, all their body of work gets removed and it's gone. And you live in an age where, like, like Stranger Things, you can't really buy Stranger Things on DVD. It's only streamed. If an actor or someone does something that, you know, does something wrong sadly that shit could get wiped away and never be seen again and man it's just a it's a scary reality we live in where art can suffer and man you know there's a lot of musicians i love that do really horrible things and do boneheaded moves that i don't approve of but i still love their music you know yeah there's so many musicians i love where, like as a person they're really not the greatest person but i still love the music i separate the music from the the person that creates it and sadly not a lot of people feel the same way and we live in a day and age where like everything's streamed everything's like in a cloud and it could just easily be removed and it's kind of scary but man what a great song and lyrically man what dave's a fortune teller because he predicted it because we live in a day and age where like anything can just be deleted and never be seen again you know it's a scary reality we live in but Man, like, let's focus, we just gotta focus on how great the song is, and that's why I always support, buy physical media, buy this album, and buy movies, buy music, because you never know, it could be deleted one day.
1: Yeah, I always support, uh, and always tell people, you know, buy physical media, buy it. Yeah. You know, And, and listen, it's not even, I mean, I agree with everything you said, and censorship is a... Is one of the reasons why you should invest in physical media. Another reason is sometimes it's even for uh, less sinister reasons. Sometimes, sometimes you just like some streaming services might lose the copyright of something. There are certain albums where copyrights of something. Yeah, like like you don't own the stuff you stream. That's just what it comes down to. Like you might think it's there, but just like that just for any reason sometimes you go hey listen people on spotify like my had every neil young album but then oh yeah but one day neil young decides no i don't want my stuff there anymore as a hissy fit removes his stuff and it's, yeah, it's only people you don't you don't have neil young's albums anymore cuz you know you never had them That's yep the, you just want. I know
2: the same thing happened cuz uh, i'm i'm a wrestling fan i love uh, i love old school wrestling like attitude era wrestling well, a lot of the stuff from the Attitude Era, the WWF, was was very offensive. You know, a lot of people nowadays, it, it would not fly nowadays, and I like it. I know, like, obviously, oh, yeah, this probably wouldn't fly nowadays, but I still enjoy it for what it is. It's just, it's just entertainment, but, man, like, WWE on Peacock, they removed a lot of stuff, and luckily, I had a friend who got me the hookup. He got me all the episodes of, like, Monday Night Raw, and, like, all the pay-per-views, like, unedited with the original music, and... All the stuff that they removed, but man, it's like you know, I was just lucky whereas other people man that get into that are the attitude era that maybe don't have the connections I do that stuff's lost reverence. it's kind of sad, man it's really it's it's scary because everything's all streamed now. you could just lose so much amazing art art just because someone else you know sadly gets offended by it and can't handle
1: it and it. cause an uproar. I don't mind us getting a little fit, you know, uh, political, especially talking about Megadeth and feels Yeah,
2: clean. I mean, this really isn't political too well, much. It's, a, it's more it just us, like guys who appreciate good art, you know, yeah, well, and should. we're guys that can separate it.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of cultural more than political. Yeah. But, yeah, but, you yeah, know, I will say this too about, it's this, you know, you've got to preserve culture if, yeah. if, if other people, that, you know, the, the corporations and in the government, which are pretty much one in the same, uh, that don't, <laughs> want you, don't want you to have control of anything. So that's yes. just, like they want everything to move away from ownership to debt, like, you know, credit debt. They want you to be renting things instead of owning places. Yep. And, you know, they're making real estate increasingly more expensive. Everything is getting more expensive. You know, gas is getting more expensive. Oh, yeah. what, what do you all think it's leading to? You don't have to be a crackpot. They've seeing conspiracists to see the writing on the wall. Oh it's yeah, all exactly. To everything, food included, everything's being a point where it's you don't own things; that this other entity owns it for you. This uh, centralized power, uh, uh, global centralized power, owns everything for you, and they want you going to it, and they disperse what you have, what your credit you know says you can have. Yeah, what you don't have. it's. A fucking dystopia, who wants to fucking live in a world like that? Well, that's the world that's happening before our eyes, slowly and surely. And, you know, I don't... Like, we both. We don't like some of the more homophobic or xenophobic things that they've said over the years. I don't agree with. But, just because he's wrong about some things doesn't mean that that crackpot nut isn't right about some other shit you know? exactly That's the thing. you know when the zombie apocalypse goes down sometimes you gotta go to the, the the fucking reactionary crackpot that was right about the zombie apocalypse might not agree about everything but it's like oh he was right about the zombie apocalypse so <laughs> you know uh yeah some of this shit's real we are living in megadeth times
2: yeah and and it's kind of like with the first song, you know, I was talking about middle school. I was so scared of uh, yeah. nuclear war and all that. Whereas now, as I've gotten older, nuclear war isn't really a fear of mine. I'm not scared of a bomb. I'm more scared about poli- like, people in power and what, what control they have over me. And so it's kind of crazy how song begins as like fears we have as a kid of nuclear war, and it ends with like, actual fears that as we get older we realize it could become a reality or, or even in some aspects have become a reality of like you know censorship and being silenced and just things being removed without our consent or control you know it's it's, it's scary
1: yeah well not to make you feel worse but, <laughs> uh, but it all should be a concern because not only do is that all a legit concern but whether or not it's a biological, you know, uh, something created in a lab, like I don't know, maybe like something like that happened recently <laughs> in re- recent years, right? you know, yeah. just, just to say a global pandemic, uh, oh God, or. Yeah. or, 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 or or, like, you know, one country fights another country because they're having a pissing contest with NATO or whatever, the and, and, and then suddenly there's a nuclear war. Like, it, all that shit could still happen. Like, yeah, wasn't I mean, any sense, Was really there happened, any right? sense, regardless of what your politics was, Anyone honestly say that anyone did anyone win the pandemic? Was there any <laughs> Was there any country that seemed like the, that the government really was protecting the people and did the right thing at the right yeah. time? No, no one can say that. No, it was a major ball drop on various levels, and you know it's a mixture of corruption and incompetence. You know sometimes people think like I think they give the government of, of the world too much credit. But, or not enough credit. I think yeah. it's, it's an unholy mix of both. It's both knowing corruption and duplicity and trying to control us mixed with laziness and cronyism and incompetence. <laughs> and it's a very dangerous mixture. Yeah. So it's like, what's going to get us first? The dystopia that makes us all slaves or the biological or nuclear accident that happens because yeah. they're, they're not... Paying attention or protecting us—it's like, what's going to kill us all first? Is it going to be yeah. a slow death or a fast death? <laughs> so, but I like that we're having this discussion because yeah, it I feels fitting for fucking Megadeth. <laughs>
0: hell
2: yeah! You know, it, it, you can't really avoid it when you're talking about Megadeth. But man, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, everyone listening to this episode, man—we
1: <laughs> don't want uh, to just because it went to a dark
2: place. <laughs> don't don't be all doom and gloom, man. You know, it, no tomorrow's never promised. Listen to some fucking Megadeth. Listen to metal. Enjoy your life. Live it to the fullest, man. You know, don't, don't take what we're saying right now and live in doom and gloom or fear constantly. Just, man, listen to some fucking metal. Hang out with buddies. Drink. Cause, you know, you could walk out one day and get shot or something. Like, it could, it could all end tomorrow. No matter what it could be, it could all end tomorrow. Man, just have fun. Listen to music. You know, I used to be the same way. I used to be so paranoid about shit that could happen and it would affect the way I live but man listen to this album listen to some of the albums that we're going to recommend when we do our recommendation of the week uh, just man don't don't be all doom and gloom enjoy your life live it to the fullest tomorrow's never promised uh, listen to this fucking album and just have fun with life
1: yeah there's more reason to do it because you might all die so exactly have a good fucking time
2: <Yeah>. like <laughs> Steel Panther said party like tomorrow is the end of the world yeah
1: Exactly. Well, I'm gonna take this last song now, and uh, Mouth. <laughs> because it's my second favorite song on the album, Dude, and, Fuck yeah, Good and song. my my second favorite Megadeth song. Period. So hell yeah, one of the greatest songs ever. It's fucking awesome, "Look Out." It and it oh, I like it hits. You know, it has like the the first like uh, measures. You know, hits in. Again, yep. a little like 502 where it's a little ACDC-ish for a second, just punches in, but then just fucking goes charging with the bass and drums, and it's just, you know, Dave, you know, keeping it going real fast during the verses, and it's fun. Again, I hear a lot, of, like I said, like Let every Rock influence, you know, where yep. you hear just the bass and Bond's going in the verses, and then but then, like Let every Rock, where it kicks in when the guitars de- kick in and start doubling up the bass. And it's so fucking ass kicking. It's like it's like the fucking uh world came out of your ass and hit you in the face. It's so <laughs> yeah. Powerful when those guitars hit after the bass. And and then it just keeps getting more and more rocking. and then it hits I think the best soloing, my favorite lead solos you ever hear on a megadeth song. Yep. And, oh fucking amazing and they just keep going and going and it just you just hear these guitars, and you're just like, this is fucking, Dave's like fucking owning up everyone. He's owning all the fucking metal bands and thrash bands, not just Metallica. And at this point, you know, even, I, I love Overkill. Oh, And I think later on, maybe, and maybe one year later, they might be on this level. I don't think they were at this level in 88, though. Maybe in 89, but not 88. And I almost spoil our Overkill episode too much, but... Um, but... In 88, I feel that Dave was doing the best stuff. I feel that this Yeah, I think this, up. out of the, the
2: big four, this is my favorite album. Because Metallica had Injustice for All, which, I it's not a bad album, but I don't think it's I don't think it's really their greatest album. It's just kind of there. Slayer did South of Heaven, which I didn't... I used to hate that album, but now I kind of like it, but still different. It's not what I want from Slayer. Anthrax did "Stay Euphoria," which actually is one of my favorite Anthrax albums, and that's usually one that everyone hates. Yeah. But man, this one's still just it, it owns. It owns "Stay
1: Euphoria." It's the best yeah. album that the Big Four did in 1988. Yeah, it's amazing. And and, and, the, and the "Hook 'Em Up" is another song I think could have been a single, like a, like a, at least like a live performance video, like something it should have shown. Yeah, on Head, I think it could have been a good single. Yeah, I mean, just, it's catchy, it's fast, it's fun, it kicks ass, and again, just to kind of like show the metalheads watching Headbangers Ball after midnight, hey, we're the baddest band around, you know, that's like, it would have like served that purpose, you know, but anyway, so Hook and Mouth, great way to end this album, I still like, don't know if if they had to have Anarchy, if it should have been the last song, or the second to last song, it's hard to say, I kind of would like it to be the last song, because then I could just end Hook and Mouth. (laughs) <laughs> and don't and just stop the album. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I feel like that's where I would put it. But you know, either way, second to last or last would have been better. Um, just to wrap up one just to talk about the mix a little more. Again, I definitely were both pro the original mix and not just because the remix was yeah. brick walled, like a lot of shit like in the two thousands, the early two thousands where everything was mixed and mastered way too loud, and there was like less dynamics. Not in this, the, the Megadeth remixes are like in re- slash remasters were like the worst of all those. Like, oh, they're yeah, they're so George Lucas of, of and remastering. So they're just so, re- they're just, just so now, I will admit, they're way too loud. Just yeah, they're dumb.
2: The I will admit, though, this one listening, obviously, I like the original mix better, but it really didn't. Didn't bother me too much. I will uh, say the I the one agree that with bothered that. me the most was Rust and Peace. Peace. I Peace think that one, Rust. and that's probably why maybe I don't like
1: Peace, Rust and Peace as much. But there's other reasons why. I I don't like um, uh, Peace Cells a lot either. Peace sells actually totally fucks up that opening, the classic iconic opening bass line. For the yeah. I, I hate how it sounds in the remix. So I think that remix is shit too. But I agree, actually I only have, the only remixes I have in my music library, I have this one. I have both the original yeah. mix and this mix. I have both mixes represented. Because even though I do prefer the original mix, um, and I think it sounds like we're on the same page here, uh, there is a little more heaviness and sonic power to the remix that's a yeah. little lost I in that original watching mix. I can tolerate it. Yeah, so it sometimes, doesn't ruin it for me. Sometimes I like to just hear a slight variation of this album. Yeah. So, so I don't mind. Also, the remix, both remixes of the, orig- of the first album, Killing Is My Business, I'm kind of fine with those remixes, too. I prefer the remastered original import that I have, but... I don't mind the remix of that album, and then the late, they did two, actually. And both those mixes, I don't mind. Uh, no matter how you mix that album, I, I really love that first album, and I think yeah. all, all those mixes kind of work for me. I really only have a big problem with the, the uh, Rust and Peace remixes. I hate both of them. Oh, that right? one's
2: probably the worst.
1: Yeah, it's really bad. Oh, and I also, I don't like the... Um, the 90s remixes, either. For all the 90s albums, I prefer the original 90s mixes as well. The 90s ones I never really noticed too much. There's a except for Rust in Peace. you got to play them back-to-back, back, but you'll, you'll hear differences. Uh, they, I mean, the 90s remixes for um, uh, uh, Euthanasia and uh, Countdown aren't quite as noticeable, but the originals are better. They, they breathe a little bit more. they got a little more dynamics. I actually... I mean... Some people might like Risk in cryptic writings because in the remixes they made him a little less poppy. Uh, they, they, they <laughs> Risk is the horrible either with well, whatever mix I, I, you have. I got to, I prefer the original just because I. It's like I think they're more honest the original mixes. Like it's like the, these are his weird, you know, Japanese experimental pop <laughs> albums, and just like don't hide from it. Don't try to trick trick us into thinking it's like a more of a rock album than it is like I prefer the original mixes because I think they're a little more honest with what the albums were um than the rem- and then I think that's it that's it for the remixes yeah uh, but yeah so, but overall those remixes suck go with the original even if it's not remastered oh, yeah. Just go with the original and just turn it up louder. If you're one of (laughs) those
2: streaming people, just go on YouTube and type in whatever Megadeth album original mix and just listen to that one. So you're going to get a
1: better quality one. And if you're one of those streaming people, stop. Stop being a streaming person. Yeah. Buy the fucking album. I'm not against streaming, but buy the original albums. You know, we were talking
2: about this earlier with Hook and Mouth. Buy the albums, but I mean... I'm not against streaming. I think it's great. You know, if you, you know. I know people don't have a lot of money sometimes to buy every album in the world. Uh, use streaming it to listen to an album, see if you like it, if you want to give it a chance. But also buy it, to Support your artist. Yep.
1: So anyway, so that was it. So that was... Hell uh, oh, yeah. So far, so good. So dot, what? Dot, dot. So what? <laughs> and I love it. That's one last thing I'm to say, and I, I mentioned this in my uh, Megadeth video, too. It's another... All the proof you need to see that Megadeth's smarter and wittier than Metallica, uh, well, I think they're obviously wittier, but just smarter, yep. is that Dave Mustaine, the Cretan that he is, he knows how to use an ellipsis. Because. Okay, when they used it When Megadeth used it They used it in the proper ironic way Where it's like Peace sells Dot, dot, dot But who's buying you Yeah, know, like so some f- kind of support. smart-ass remark So like the first half Is saying something But then There's a punchline There's something ironic about yeah. it
2: Yeah so it's also kind of punk rock
1: too yeah. to, For the way they did it Because what i am got to ask is Metallica tried to do it With their last album And they did it wrong yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, horrible. Hardwired, yeah.
1: hardwired. dot 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 to self-destruct. Yeah,
2: it wasn't really witty, it was just a continuation just, of what they're already saying.
1: Yeah, exactly. I said, like, you're trying to do the Megadeth thing, but you're not getting that there needs to be something ironic about it. Something like,
2: witty and uh, also <laughs> punky about it. Yeah,
1: you're just doing a thought-to-thought and then just saying the thing you expect you to say. After hardwired, yeah, to self-destruct. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought oh, you would say. <laughs> you <know>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, that, that's all the proof you need that Megadeth is more clever than metallic yeah exactly
2: (laughs) now edwin uh what's an album uh that you've been listening to like recently or something maybe you want to recommend to everyone out there for your radical recommendation
1: well this is radical because in some (laughs) ways it's very different but yet in some ways kind of uh fits the vibe so i'm gonna go for as you know the most recent video i did was a james brown video uh for all that's a great video too Thank you, thank you. It's double live album, Sex Machine, which is great, but what I'm recommending is another album, which I just touched upon very quickly in that video, but I want to recommend, which I was listening to a lot this week, is, because I think this is a cool album for people that like heavy metal to listen to, Mm -hmm. James Brown's 1974 album, Hell, that's right, H.E. Double Hockey Hell. Yeah, so James Brown has a song called Hell, and I think that's right there. That's kind of heavy metal. Yeah, it's pretty metal. And it's a cool album. It was a double album he released in 1974, and I touched upon this a little in this video, where I say for the most part, James Brown was a little more old school, where he was like those '50s artists, where the albums weren't really concept they weren't really conceived in that way that albums were conceived post, like. Sergeant they were mainly Pedro. just a collection of singles. Yeah, and there's, they're very random. Now he did kind of catch on a little bit by the '70s, because by the '70s. Even in R and B you had like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. There were certain R and B artists that had kinda of taken a cue from rock albums where yeah. albums had started to become conceptual. So more James Brown
2: experience.
1: Yeah. So James Brown started to kind of catch on to that with a few albums, like There It Is and The Payback. They started to get a little more conceptual, and this album probably the most so. Uh Hell was a little more conceptual. It was a double album, nineteen seventy-four, and it does kind of sonically and thematically kind of connect in parts. I wouldn't call it, it's not a concept album, but it's definitely an album. It's like, it is an album and it has a vibe. It's very, it's very funky. It's his last great album, in my opinion. After this, he had a few good ones and some good songs here and there. But to me, the James Brown run is like, uh, it's pretty much the like 69 to 74. That's, that's, yeah. those are his peak years. And 70, and this is his last great album. Probably the songs that are most known from it are My Thing and then Papa Don't Take No Mess. Two awesome songs. And it's just, it's an awesome song. It's eclectic. You get a, a little bit of jazzy stuff, some soul ballads, but mainly it's, it's mainly, uh, just hardcore funk. Just yeah. hard funk. Raw album, and I said this too in the video, I said to me, funk is like the heavy metal of R&B music.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah. And it man, is- I, I love James Brown, uh, not to cut you off, but... Yeah. Man, have- I, listen to some of them James Brown songs. Like, some of them screams he does. Like, I mean, that's all some Ian Gillen, Deep Purple sounding oh, yeah. shit. Like, those screams he does. You watch yeah, great voice. where he's,
1: like, screaming along with the saxophone at the end of, like, Mother Popcorn Live. Like, yeah. he's doing that thing with vocals, like, what the uh, heavy metal singer would do with the lead guitarist. Yeah. Where they're trading off, you know. And, yeah, he has some really righteous, over-the-top savage screaming that it's done in a funky way but it also rocks as well so i definitely <laughs> think james brown and an album like hell is something that if you're open-minded you could kind of listen to and get into it in a way that even if you don't like most r&b music i feel like you could like especially his early 70s shit because it's raw and it's hard hitting yeah yeah so definitely yeah check out i highly recommend james brown from 1974, hell. 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 <laughs> yeah, so what do you got to recommend?
2: Uh, man, so for me, my recommendation my recommendation, uh, is definitely Women and Children First by Van Halen. You know, it's getting to be summertime at the time we're recording this episode. The weather's starting to warm up a bit, but it's still kind of, you know, I notoriously love cold weather. I don't like the real hot summer weather. But right now it's kind of like it's warming up, but it's not too hot. And man, I've been listening to some uh, some Van Halen, man, because Van Halen's just the best summertime band. And best Women and Children summertime. First,
0: yeah, yeah I love
2: man. Women and Children First, man. That's an album that you just you hang out by the pool or the beach, uh, where, whichever region you're in. You know, I've been listening uh, listening to it while out grilling because at the apartment complex, I love that we got a. Uh, An area where you can grill, and we got a pool and whatnot, so I like to lounge out by the pool, do some grilling, and listen to some fucking Van Halen, man. So, I recommend Women and Children First, man. Great fucking summertime album. You know, if it's summertime, you're going out in the boat, you're going out to the pool, beach, whatever it may be, you're going on vacation, listen to some fucking Van Halen, man. Especially that album. Fucking Uh, phenomenal.
1: That's my second favorite Van Halen album. Hell yeah,
2: man. After Fair Warning. My favorite still—it uh, it changes constantly. My number one favorite Van Halen album, between the six pack, it always changes. But right now, it's still currently Diver Down.
1: Wow! At
2: one point, though, every Van choice. Halen album, every like, every Van Halen album from the original six has been like my favorite album at one point. But right now, it's still Diver Down. My uh, change,
1: my like second to sixth place, like all the as- albums from two to like six. Kind of well, no, not six, but I would say the my second to fifth favorite Van Halen albums switch switch around a lot. They do, yeah. But 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 no, they're fair, also good though. They are, but a fair warning, definitely. Just it's a, it's one Ooh. of those albums that that's a fix for me. That's my fix number one. It's always been my favorite, and always will be. But two changes. My second favorite right now. My second favorite is is the one you recommended. But uh, yeah. I also I think Van Halen too, which is my third favorite. That that's a great summer album too. I love
2: that one. That's the ultimate summer album. Yeah.
1: But all I mean pretty much every David Lee Roth. Van Halen album is a summer album.
2: Yeah, honestly, like, the first six Van Halen albums, I just recommend all of those. Just fucking listen to them.
1: Yeah, come on. Come <laughs> on, what are you doing? Come on. Yeah, well, come on.
2: If you haven't listened to the first six Van Halen albums, you have a serious problem with your life, and you just don't like fun. Yeah, li-
1: listen to James Brown and Van Halen and get laid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> get laid! <laughs> oh, yeah, that that's the music that'll get you some
1: pussy. Yeah, because it's hell in here, and the shit's, like Jim Morrison said, where the whole shit house goes down, you know, down in flames. Have fun. <laughs> no one here gets out alive. Yep. So we might as well have a good
2: time. Well, anyway, this was a good time. This was a good time, man. And, man, we managed to make a damn near almost three-hour episode out of uh, a, a very short album. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that would happen with this album. I, I had a feeling, too. <laughs> anyway, good talking to you, brother. Good talking to you, man. And uh, join us next week. For, uh, for another killer album, which I don't know which what it's, well, it's going to be yet, but just join us next time. This has been the Rock All Over You Podcast.